Welcome to the 46th Toronto International Film Festival. We've missed you. Isn't it great to be in a theater again? It's been a minute, hasn't it? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast, where we are talking about all the films that we saw at the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. As we said at the top, uh, in this case... These are films that may one day come to you. A lot of these films are actually, they already have release dates. Some of these definitely for sure. A few come into Netflix. Yep. Um, other ones that are just getting normal releases. So this isn't completely obscure films, but there's also a lot of foreign films that uh, we don't quite know yet. There, there are a lot. I think most of the quote premium screenings that we went to probably will have release dates in the next year yeah. at least. Um, a lot of the other ones, I have no idea. Which, which is kind of the fun of these festivals is they like force you into watching movies that you probably would have never heard of in your entire life, if not for the fact that you had to pick something and it was on the list. And that's that's the thing, too, is in I mean, for us, for us, we broke this down into two selections of films. At first, we decided to do this pretty late in the game. So there were no more packages you could get for premium films. So we just settled for we're not going to see any premium films this year. And uh, after we were done booking our 20 films, we realized that you could still buy individual tickets. Um, and then it became a rush to try to find what was still left of the things that we hadn't uh, already been able to book because they weren't the premium. So we definitely have a grab bag of all kinds of different films to cover. <laughs> Very few of them English. <laughs> yep. um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think in general, uh, it was a fun experience trying to do this. I mean, what, what did you think of this festival um, this year, just overall? Um, yeah, so overall, the festival, in terms of the selection and everything, it, it was good. It, it still feels not quite as many clear hits as uh, TIFF had two years ago when we attended in person. Yeah, and we got spoiled. That was one of those festivals where, like, it, it it was just like every day there were two or three screenings that were like, oh, yeah, this is definitely going to be in discussion come awards yeah. season. Um, where, whereas I think we are seeing the COVID effect a little bit now where there are still films that people were excited about, but it is a bit more scattered. Um, but I thought that feeling of having to kind of... What, what is it called? Panning for gold yeah. or whatever, where, where like you're, you're looking for the perfect thing. Um, <laughs> I thought that experience was kind of fun this year in that almost every movie I watched, I had no concept at all of what it was going to be or what anyone thought of it or what buzz there was yeah. going into it. And um, I found that pretty delightful. I, I definitely, the digital aspect, Christopher and I are not in Toronto. We did not attend physical screenings. Um, and I do believe like Sundance, the digital screening thing causes a bit more mental load it gets harder to do a bunch of movies back to back and maintain focus yeah. but i i thought the selection was fun and interesting and the genres of the movies were very kind of unexpected there were a lot of movies where the genre itself twisted halfway through in a way that i had no idea about um and i i do think it surprised me more than sundance i don't know that it had more bangers than Sundance did, but it definitely surprised me a lot more. Yeah, I, I think for me, you know, going through trying to select films to watch, um, especially when you have to like rearrange your entire schedule because 
you put a new film like right in the middle of a thing that was perfectly planned out. I, I think for me, I kind of <clears throat> my my rule uh, was sort of like read read as much the description to give me whether or not I'm interested in it, and if it sounds like remotely interested bail out of the description and call it a day sometimes mm-hmm. if i couldn't really get if it was something i was interested in and there was a trailer i would watch the trailer that was there um but for the most part it was kind of like all right if it's a thing where i know people not not i know people involved but if i if i know of the people who are involved in making the film sometimes i didn't even read the description where it was like oh no we're definitely going to see this because of x but yeah so so i had an idea of some of the concepts but that also came with a lot of assumptions. And I'll say that this film definitely upended some of those. Or the, uh, There's a lot of films that played with what your assumptions of um, with, with, yep. with what it was doing as you watched the film. And I kind of enjoyed the journey I took on a bunch of these things. I definitely feel in that same boat, though, where th- this film felt or this entire festival to me felt a little bit towards the middle um, where there were very few things that I actively disliked. <laughs> Most mm-hmm. things I was like, yeah. That was pretty yeah, nice. I think my number is two. I'm like two and a half. Yeah, maybe even one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely... I have, like, we're both sharing a document online with what we can go, so I'll have to go check my other doc later to make sure I understand what my rank... Because I, I ranked the whole thing. I was like, screw it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stack mm-hmm. rank all 28 films. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think in general, there were a few things that I really, really liked. A bunch of things that I was like, yeah, that that was nice and then a few things that i was like oh my god i hate this movie <laughs> yeah i am um, uh, one thing this year that kind of made it feel more frantic is i decided to have a tiny letterboxd review and a star rating after every movie and i always posted those like immediately after which for people who haven't done this thing where you have like three movies back to back with four hour windows like stopping how like immediately after a movie and trying to write your thoughts before another one begins is a little bit tough um but in my star rating yeah i think i had i had two that were like four and a half stars which is like oh i love that movie i had a handful that were four stars which is like damn that was really good and then a whole lot of middle and like a couple one or two stars Uh, so i think i'm in the same boat there's a lot of middle and a lot of good a few very great but it isn't like a couple years ago where i think of my top 10 list probably six came from tiff or something yeah i, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast before but i just i can't do the star thing like i it's one of the things where like every year i think to myself like this year i'm gonna do it i'm gonna start like star rating things and i just i can't do it so i am so impressed with myself for having stacked ranked everything <laughs> because for for me that's like a huge accomplishment <laughs> no i mean that's great i i think that might be harder too because the star thing like when i look at stars they are not consistent like there are movies i liked more than others where the star rating is tied or yeah, yeah. flipped um it, it just is not very meaningful to do it that way but at least it tells me love versus hate <laughs> yeah i i think i think just looking at everything as as a gap makes it harder but like putting it in a row for me makes it so i'm that much closer to being able to potentially star because but then that might affect my i'm like well i I put this like four rows higher what how could it possibly be also a (laughs) 3.5 yeah but yeah anyways uh, we have a ton of films to get to um so we should probably stop keeping you waiting um and just get into this Um, we're gonna go about this in 
somewhat mostly alphabetical order if you count films that start with the as being T films. <laughs> yeah, because Steven doesn't know how to make Google Sheets sort ignoring the word the when he makes formulas. But yeah, it, it should be interesting. I, I think it's a good way to kind of get a shotgun approach to what this festival was for us personally. Um, and then also we might be able to highlight, you know, as we pass things, we might be able to highlight how high on the list these type of films um, might, might have ranked for mm-hmm. us at any given point in time. Ready to do this, Stephen. I am ready. All right. And by ready, I mean I have no notes. I'm going <laughs> to do it completely blind. <laughs> All right. Well. There's only 28 movies to get through. It's fine. We're going to ping pong back and forth and each introduce films and then go into our thoughts on the film. So let's start off. I'll take the first one. Um, and that is for a little film called Aloners, uh, which was probably is probably my second most anticipated film of the festival um just from the opening uh the line of the description which is a solitary woman reevaluates her isolated existence after her neighbor dies alone in his apartment and i was like holy shit i'm watching this movie because this is the greatest premise ever um and i think that uh, this film did not disappoint for me um i think this is a it's a very subtle and soft film but it is also quite brilliant and you know from the description it is a film that is taking a look at one person's version of isolation and loneliness and how she sort of looks at the world around her this is a woman who likes to stay alone kind of keeps to herself but also works as a um for a credit card company in the the help desk of Mm-hmm. Why am I? I don't know what. The, why am I forgetting what those places are called? It's like a call center for a, call a credit center. card company, um, helping people with their credit card. And this film, you know, we talked about surprises in films. This isn't just a film that looks at this one person's isolation and loneliness. It looks sort of at the isolation and loneliness of all the people who call the credit card company to get help. Sometimes, seemingly, just to talk to another person. And I, I, I really loved what this film was doing. Um, and there were moments that I got really emotional. There's, there's a really great scene um, where a particular customer um, who everybody thinks is crazy <laughs> um, has a really touching thing that he talks about uh, over the course of yeah. why his sort of unique delusion um, plays into the world that we're watching. And I think that this film just is, is touching, incredibly well made, and I just loved everything it was doing. Yeah, I, I, I forget in the format if we go back and forth for each movie. I think that's yeah, all we yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And, well, then, and then when I'm done with my assessment, maybe I lead into the second movie. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I completely agree. Uh, Aloners did not disappoint at all. That was one of those movies where almost all of these, I forgot the synopsis by the time I sat down to watch. But I knew in the back of my head, this was a movie that I flagged as one I was looking forward yep. to. And it it delivered I, in, in, in every way. It was like a, a beautifully subtle film. Uh, I believe this was a directorial debut, um, which is really impressive. And it it does have that feeling, though. It has that people are going to make fun of me. I I always make this comparison for so many movies, but Lost in Translation (laughs) type feeling where it's just about like loneliness and isolation and about, you know, a person drifting through the world. She knows exactly where she fits, but how to relate to other people is difficult. And I thought it... um, it was really beautiful many times. Uh, I remember the soundtrack made me get weepy on multiple occasions. It, it has really nice touches to it. Uh, I really enjoyed the character that you mentioned calling in. It 
reminded me of safety not guaranteed a little bit like i, I kind of <laughs> it it had that little dabble in the fantastical and what does the um what does the fantastical desire say about the you know the, the headspace or the loneliness of the person who is experiencing yeah. it um i think the lead is just wonderful in this movie and the the main relationship that we watch unfold i think is just beautifully executed and yeah, I, I really like this yeah, one a I, lot. Uh, it didn't disappoint. I think maybe it got a little bit of the festival bump for me because I adored this movie when I watched yeah, yeah. it. And probably if I were to rewatch, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that was good. But as an early festival viewing, I was so into it. I mean, so, so day one for me was one film and day two, which is where I saw this one, I believe, was five films. And still on a day of five mm-hmm. films, I, I still was like, holy crap, I love this movie. And it also has just yeah. a brilliant, a brilliant final shot which sort of like contextualizes yeah. the entire film that you've watched and where the character is at this at this moment in time. And I just, I really enjoyed that. I also, there's this thing that she does where she goes and eats ramen alone and watches a video of somebody <laughs> eating ramen <laughs> while she eats ramen. And I don't know why, but every time it just made me giggle. <laughs> just the idea of somebody yeah. like, like just being alone but watching a video of somebody else being alone doing the same thing. That for whatever reason, that just tickled me to death. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really like that touch. And I think just overall, um, I like the the feeling that this movie shows is a person who is not cold or angry or hateful, like, but who just also has no... Des- Maybe she has a desire to connect, but it, it, it's like the, this thing where it's a person who is in her shell and is comfortable being there and watching people in their shell be prodded slightly into coming out of it i just think is like a recipe for a beautiful movie and i think this one did that for me uh so yeah i liked it and it made me want to go back to korea i think i was texting you (laughs) right right after it of all the little things that it brought up for me about about that experience so uh the next movie in alphabetical order is a film called arthur rambo um this is one where I completely forgot the premise if I had ever known it when I sat down to watch the movie. And it is about a celebrated author, uh, Kareem D, who is leading a double life, basically. Uh, it's like a young writer uh, in Paris who is speaking about the life of an immigrant uh, coming from Algeria. And he has this celebrated book. He's having tons of interviews. But then the moment he gets famous, a bunch of old tweets get dredged they're, up they're, from his alter ego named they're not old tweets for the last five years he has been doing this that's one of mm-hmm. the things that i was kind of yeah. like whoa this is not what i expected because this is an active yeah. character he is portraying but anyway sorry <laughs> that that's true yeah you're right uh so it, it turns out there's an alter ego of his on twitter arthur rambo who posts things that are hateful and shocking um he claims that this is being done as a character, basically testing the limits of what people will be comfortable with and as a voice of the oppressed. Like, this is the anger that we feel as Algerian immigrants in France. You know, this is how we feel about Charlie Hebdo. This is how we feel about XYZ. And this is one of those movies where the premise, I thought, was fantastic. Like, when the movie opened and I realized what it was doing, I was so into it. And even the the energy of the movie from the opening through the first maybe 20 minutes, it it felt like just a real movie in the sense that I was like, you know exactly what you're executing on. You have the tone, you have the style. This is going to be great. And I feel like it really let me down. Like after it teed up that premise, I think the character of Kareem D, when 
he's confronted with these two sides of his life. There are so many interesting places the movie could have gone in terms of having him speak to the dilemma that, you know, a uh, an immigrant feels or a person who has allegiance to all these kind of radical notions and these feelings of anger who also wants to be a mouthpiece for the people. Um, there were so many interesting places it could have gone. And I kind of felt like after the first 20 or 30 minutes, the movie didn't have any more ideas and it just kind of felt like half a movie to me. Um, part of it is I think the, the tweets in question, none of them seem like a thing that could be a brilliant satire or a channeling of rage that is like meaningful and profound. They felt just kind of obnoxious and rude. And yeah. I, I didn't believe that this author would have written those that way. Like that I would have poorly. believed in like a fit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I would have believed in a fit of anger. Yeah. He would say something that to crosses the line. You know, I, I think it comes closest when he is talking about his feelings on the Paris attacks or Charlie Hebdo attacks, where that that is where I can imagine someone being provocative and channeling a real anger while also that not representing the whole of who they are. But I think the the choice of what messages they show and then the conversations they spend the rest of the hour of the movie having about his, um, the gap between his two personas, I, I feel like only confused it more. Like it didn't reveal anything. So I, I was actually pretty let down by this movie because I think it could have been fantastic. And instead it really felt like a movie that was halfway done. And then they just were like, Oh, well, we don't have a movie. Let's just, <laughs> let's just end it without actually concluding anything. Yeah, so I I went on a very similar journey to you with this film. I mean, I, you know, when I read this description originally, I was like, oh, yeah, this could be really interesting. Like, I want I really want to see a non-American take on cancel culture and see how it deals with um, a, you know, a author who is being universally praised suddenly being dragged to the mud because of, of things that are, came from their past. But as I mentioned, <laughs> I wanted to call it specifically, it's not their past. It's a current character they are portraying that they have been portraying for five years. And well, first of all, it was hilarious to me that 200,000 followers was a big deal because that's like nothing in the current mm -hmm. <laughs> like, state of, of uh, influencers and crap like that. But, but all that aside, I was interested to see where this film went. And like you, I... The longer the runtime went, the more I was starting to feel let down by this film because the 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 way the character responds to the controversy wasn't particularly insightful or interesting or anything like that. How the people around him sort of begin to like not want to work with him anymore and sort of, you know, start to you know raid on his parade, so to speak, because of, of what he's been caught doing. I didn't think it was handling it in a very interesting way. And I really started to wonder what the goal of this film was. There's a scene a little bit towards the middle where I started to get a sneaking sus suspicion about what the goal of this film was. And I turned out to be right by the end of the film. And I think that this film is trying to do a very specific thing. This is a message film that wants to communicate one thing and it takes the full hour and a half to reach with that one thing. And I think that because that end, I, I actually think it's, it nails its ending. Like I started to see what it wanted to try to do. And it does that very effectively. Um, I won't speak to what it's doing because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil that. So, so I, I think that the story of what is actually happening is actually a pretty interesting and compelling thesis that this film is trying to put out into the world. And I appreciate that as being the subject of what it's trying to do. 
But unfortunately, you have to wade through a film that feels like it's missing its mark for so long until at the end when you go like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I, I completely buy that. Like, I think the, the I could come up with a fantastic description of the movie that would sound amazing based on what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, th- I don't know if you ever caught up with Young Ahmed, the movie out of Cannes a few years ago that was about a, uh, that, that was basically about a uh, Arabic child who's living in Paris who it becomes radicalized by like a local imam and it kind of has us watch his experience going through that process and it's a movie that is challenging because it makes us kind of empathize with him but he's also trying to do terrible things um I think there's real power there like I think about the way like rap music in the 90s was demonized because of the content and the content is very vulgar and a lot of it is inexcusable if you say like how could you write that but it has to come in context with this is how we were feeling this is the country we're living in this is a channel for anger i think all of that can totally be there for this movie too and it just feels like there is an hour of the movie where it is either not addressing that or is it it is addressing it in a way that feels very inadequate and i think that is what disappointed me is there are so many cool interesting things you can do to poke at the audience and this felt too it felt too black and white like it felt like yeah the tweets are bad he knows they're bad now we're just going to watch him kind of like i don't know squirm for an yeah, hour like that. there was no repentance on his part it was just like I mean, duh, it's a character. I'm a writer. I write characters. I mean, uh, like he, he, there was nothing redeemable about who this person was or the way he was responding to the situation. And the film itself wasn't saying anything insightful about the situation as a whole. And it wasn't doing those things that you said it could have done. So definitely like, I felt let down by it a lot too, but I like, I still like that stamp right at the end that says like, but this, (laughs) yep. (laughs) Um, but yeah, speaking of but this, <laughs> let's talk. Let's move on to a little film called Bergman Island, um, which is, you know, there's nothing there's, there's nothing that film people like more than films about film people wanting to make films um, sure. <laughs> who are obsessed with film people. <laughs> um, so Bergman Island is the story of two writers um, who uh, are a couple and they have made their way to this island that was the home of Ingmar Bergman and the place where he made uh, uh, something about a marriage. Stories, thoughts on a marriage. What the hell is it called? Uh, Scenes scene, scene scene for a Marriage, marriage. Uh, which is now an HBO yeah. series or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac are going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it literally just started this past week. Um, look at that synergy, uh, but not really. Um, but essentially, it is these two couples going to this island and, you know, going on tours like thinking about <laughs> Ingmar Bergman and uh, writing their screenplays. And then at one point, one of them wants to walk through their outline with their partner to talk about the film they are trying to make that they are stuck on. And then, you know, the lines of what you are watching might slightly be blurred. <laughs> um, I, if you can't tell <laughs> from this intro, hated this movie. <laughs> oh boy. I know that I'm sure all the critics are going to love it. I'm sure people are going to think this is so great, but I just, I couldn't stand it from the second it started. Uh, (laughs) And I was just so, I was offended by the sensibilities of this film. And uh, I'll just say that and and I'll pass it over to Steven to say nice things about it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. This is going to be the first real good old fashioned disagreement we've had in a while in terms of like 
the word hate getting thrown out because I love this movie. Um, and before you think, oh, well, that is because you need to know the films of Bergman in order to understand it. And the whole movie is built around understanding him. I've only seen one thing Bergman ever did, and it was scenes from a marriage. And I don't think that is really representative of his style. But it's the same um, house, Stephen. <laughs> right. And that, that means very little to me. The, the scenes from marriage is fantastic, and you should definitely watch it and then be depressed for like two days. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I... I just loved the playfulness of this movie. So there's some context I knew going in. I knew Mia Hansen Love had been with Olivier Asias for like eight years and they had a kid and then they recently split up. And so this is very clearly autobiographical of her and uh, Tim Roth's character are clearly supposed to be herself and Olivier Asias. Um, I don't really know how to explain what I loved about it. I loved... Um, from the start, it felt, I thought the tone was perfect. It felt very carefree and interesting. And I thought the character at the center, uh, Vicky Creep's character, is just great. Like, I liked her sensibility. I liked her kind of inquisitive, kind of free spirit attitude. And when it became a movie within a movie, I fell so hard for it. I, I loved the movie within a movie of this. I love Mia Wasikowska. Um, I loved everything that movie within a movie was it, doing. I thought it was just... It's not even a movie within a movie. It's a character going like, let me tell you about the movie I want to make. And then you're just watching a different movie. <laughs> it's Yeah, no, I well, I, I think it's her... There is clearly subtext here to me about the couple's relationship what goes unsaid and then the things she is imagining in her head and forming a screenplay around, which is kind of like an expression of what could have been or what she's feeling inside yeah. and how those tie together. But I, I can't say beat by beat why this movie is great. I just had a big fat smile on my face when watching it. And I thought it nailed everything it was doing. Like I was, I was very, very into this movie. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't know when when it came out which for me it was the 10th movie I watched in the festival it was my favorite I had seen so far um <laughs> it is not still my favorite one but I was a big fan so hey take take me and Christopher uh as what we it, are to I also thought immediately you would hate this movie. <laughs> I also I I am not I am not saying that other people should also hate it it's just one of those things where like the second it started as soon as somebody was like don't you know we're on the island where Bergman lived and wrote all this shit? And I was like, I, I, I just know I am not going to like what this movie is doing. And then it's like people like we've talked about this in other films where like I don't have to like a thing that you like, like a character in a film likes. But when you can convince me that you like that thing and I see your passion for it and I I see what it means to you, I can be I can fall in love with that thing momentarily as I see this, the, the love that comes from you for that thing. I don't believe these characters love Bergman other than that. No, I don't think yeah. they do. So it, it, it's like the, the whole, like I just disagree with the whole entire premise of what I'm watching. Like what I think though, and this, my bona fides are so bad that I have not really seen any Bergman movies. Like it, it it's pretty, um, I should be a better snob than that, yeah. but this movie is nothing like a Bergman movie from what I know about his style. Like, I think the fact that Tim Roth's character is really into Bergman, 
but he is not the center of the movie. And I think Bergman is very much austere and the characters are often kind of depressing and there's a coldness to it and it's beautiful, but in a kind of distant arty way. And I feel like this movie is rebelling against that where the woman at the center or woman plural, cause there's multiple versions of her in yeah. it, um, are trying to say, let's do something about real connection instead. Like let's cut the bullshit. And I kind of feel like this movie is specifically pushing against the, the headiness that let's say the guy who made personal shopper might've had while he was married. Um, there's even a, a moment in this when she talks about him making a ghost story or something. And it, so, yeah, I don't think this is a love letter to Bergman or a movie about people who adore him. I actually think very early in the movie, uh, Vicky creeps, the, the Mia Hanson love stand in says, like, she has a problem because Bergman was a beloved director, but he was a terrible husband, and he had a bunch of kids that he didn't pay attention to. And she is kind of asking, is it possible to do both? And I think this movie is kind of veering in the other path, where it's like, we're in this area where there is this adored director that people flock from all over the place to celebrate him. But what does love look like? What are the other things that, like, he didn't do? And how can I approach that in a very different way so i that was what i took from it at least and it, it is dumb for me to say that having not seen the vast majority of bergman <laughs> movies but i i felt like it was not a like oh this is us worshiping this director i felt like it was a what would a a woman who has a completely different take on these themes feel when she is married to a man who is like revered but he's kind of an auteur asshole yeah um, that was what i got and, and I, I don't necessarily think that it was trying to do the stuff that annoyed me i was just annoyed anyways if that makes sense like and mm. i also have a very very different connection to celebrity like you know i i used to go to a lot of concerts and it would be really small shows and a lot of times the band would just be like we're gonna be at the bar come say hi and i've never once thought to, e to ever go up to the bar and be like, hey, I like your music, right? So it's like the idea of anybody, not even the main characters, just the people being on this bus going around the island going like, and there was a house in this one movie, but no, it wasn't a house. Like, like when you go to Universal Studios and you go to the Backlot Tour, right? Like you're seeing animatronics and shit and it's kind of cool to see that, that thing. But like, I wouldn't fly around the world to go to Universal Studios, right? It's mo mostly like a theme park mm -hmm. where you want to go on a physical ride that does something. And while you're there, you'll do the backlot tour and be like, that was cool, right? Like, I, I just, I, I, there's something about it where I was like, man, I don't like anybody who's here. None of the people here. <laughs> yeah. That would almost be as ridiculous as driving up the coast of Northern Ireland <laughs> to see a, a scene where Game of Thrones was First shot. of all, we were driving up the coast of Northern Ireland for fun. And while we were there, right. I was like, hey, we're like right here next to this spot. We should go see the Iron Islands. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, one thing I did think this movie might win you over just because some of the conversations early on felt very much like in Before Midnight, where there's that like first 20 minutes where it's just couples discussing love and life and stuff together. And this had a little bit of that like informal let's just have people talk about the nature of art and life thing yeah. that I thought there was a chance that you would be a sucker for it, but it seems like you were a, you were poisoned from the jump. But like, like, you know, if, if like, let's say two people are on a train and one of them's reading a book and another person asks them about that book, right? You can mm -hmm. 
that is a branching off where one person is participating in a thing and the other person is having that person explain what they like about that thing. That is a conversation. But two people being like, I also like Bergman. I like Bergman too. We're in the Bergman house. Isn't it weird that they got divorced? But hopefully we don't get divorced. (laughs) There was something about the entire setup that I just didn't like. So now this is a cheat because I, I'm using a segue that I teed up. But speaking of the before series, <laughs> compartment number six uh, was billed as uh, basically being a Linkletter-esque type film. It's uh, two people in Russia who meet on a train, uh, on an overnight train when they're going on a journey somewhere. And then they form some kind of tenuous connection over time. That was all I knew about it going in. I'm guessing that's about all you knew from it, too. Um, I found this movie to be a very pleasant surprise. Uh, I I really enjoyed Compartment Number 6. I think what is interesting and what sets it apart from the kind of before sunrise formula that, uh, you know... I'm completely blanking on the other movies that have tried to do it before now, but but there have been <laughs> strings of movies that have tried to do the meet cute of like a couple meeting overnight and having long conversations. Yeah. Um, this is the first movie I've seen that does it with a couple who actively <laughs> dislike, each, dislike other. each other and the characters are made to have quite unlikable qualities. Um, I feel like this movie is doing something very interesting where it isn't asking you to follow a love story so much as asking you to see how two people who are in wildly different social situations, who are wildly different in terms of how they act and how they've learned to live in the world, what they have in common and how they might find some commonality if they're stuck together for a few days. I honestly, I don't want to spoil too much about this movie, but it was teed up as Linkletter-esque, so I think it's safe enough to say that there are at least some hints at romanticism in the movie. I think like Lost in Translation, it would be just as good, if not better, if they removed those hints altogether and just made it be two people getting to know each other. Um, but when it is them getting to know each other, I thought it was lovely. It Kind of like a loners, there is definitely a sense of how lonely life can be when you are by yourself do you know when you're flowing through the world on your own and you have no one to really connect with and this hit a few of the same emotional beats there i think it it was very fun and playful the way that the uh the male russian character kind of warms up to this finnish character over time i liked seeing multiple dimensions of his personality come through and it ends on such a great callback to a translation trick that she pulls on him early i thought that just was like stuck the landing nailed what you want to do with the movie um i didn't think it was perfect i thought it was a little bit messy i didn't like adore the movie but i had a really 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 fond feeling for it when it was done and i can only imagine if i had let's say gone to moscow a few years ago i would maybe feel (laughs) even more things but i have done the overnight train thing i've crowded in a compartment mine was with five other people it was triple bunk beds two of them and that sucked (laughs) but this seemed two people in a compartment i could live with that that seems quite a bit better um so i I think that the comparisons of this film to uh anything in the before series is like it does a disservice because i think it sets up one thing and it sets up a 
I don't want to say a bar, but it sets a level of expectation of the type of film that you're trying to get to. And I don't think that that is the type of film this is trying to be. And I think that when you enter a film excited for the comparisons to before that everybody is throwing around, whether it be on Reddit or in the description for the fucking movie, um, it, it makes you want one thing. And I think if you just went into this as the story of a a woman who is sort of lost... Um, is in a relationship that is not well enough defined um, for her partner. <laughs> and she has a lot of assumptions about it. She maybe doesn't fit uh, in where she is and has to go alone on a trip that she was supposed to be on with her partner. That is its own setup with its own payoffs that are genuinely pretty nice, right? Um, and yeah. I, I think that this film is enjoyable, did not hit any of the beats that I, I watched this film to see. So it took me a little while to sort of acclimate it to it. But I think that the, the Russian guy really steals the show in this film, because I, I think I think the, yeah. the, the, the woman that we're following, like she is supposed to be kind of the hero of the story, right? Like she is causing the events to take place. She is, you know, trying to make things work trying to find her purpose and she encounters this random person who the first time we meet him like she 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 finds the compartment she's supposed to stay in there's this guy who's just eating sausages and a pickle and uh like at, before she can even put her bag down he has opened a bottle of vodka and taken five shots <laughs> and it's like <laughs> a hero <laughs> like if this is if you are about to do a cross country train drive this is going to take you multiple days. This is not the person that you want in your bunk. And, and like the, the way that they build to have sort of this begrudging like camaraderie as they are on this journey and the way they sort of play into each other's needs for the trips that they are, are on is an interesting story. And as Steven said, this film fucking nails the landings. <laughs> so good. So good at the, that ending. It, it, I mean, I mean, what I love about the ending is it it is not only a callback to one thing early in the movie, it is also a resolution to another thing. It teed up more like it. it it's just like, oh, yeah, perfect. It, perfectly done. Yeah, it, like that. That is beautiful. And, and I think that like I I was kind of like middle of the road on this film. Like I was like, yeah, it's nice. I liked every time the guy showed back up, if he had disappeared for a little bit of time, like I, I, I was enjoying the the what was happening to this, these two people together in the environments and the way he tried to play off this stranger that he hadn't seen. Like, you know, you know, the, 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 the main character doesn't know she can trust him. <laughs> Probably shouldn't trust lots of people on this trip. <laughs> but yeah. like seeing them play together, especially when like, you know, like, no matter where they go, no matter where the train stops, he always has a car. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you know you shouldn't get in that car. <laughs> but, but you're gonna. <laughs> and I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 enjoyed, I enjoyed the journey of this film. And I think as it was ending, I wasn't sure that I liked it. I just enjoyed the ride. And then... I was like, mm -hmm. you fucking film. You just little sneak it at I, the I, end. I do think it's a movie. I do think it's a movie that watching it a second time, knowing what it's going to be, would probably make it more enjoyable. I, I had that tension, too. Like, for a while, I didn't really understand what I was watching. Um, but it was always enjoyable to go through it. It just I was like, where are you taking me? What are you trying to do? Surely not these two characters. You're not going to ship them, right? Like, I read the wrong synopsis. <laughs> um <laughs> 
but it I don't know. Looking back, I feel more and more fond about this movie. So I think I think it deserves another look. I am realizing, though, this is not before sunrise. This is planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this it is. is like the most unlikely partner that you're stuck with. You start to have a soft spot for their quirkiness and what it is about them deep inside that makes them act that yeah. way. Cool. Um, well, speaking of quirky films. <laughs> Uh, we're going to move on to uh, a little film called uh, Earwig, uh, which is a film that I couldn't not see, right? The description of this film is like, there's a guy looking after a little girl who has ice for teeth. And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah why not see this movie? <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of thing you go to film festivals for. <laughs> um, turns out maybe it's not the sort of thing that I should go to film festivals for. <laughs> This is a film that I I was super curious going into it. I personally couldn't get over the fact. <laughs> like like okay, fantastical story with a girl with ice teeth. I can I'm 100% on board with that. But a girl with just no teeth and a guy freezing her saliva into teeth doesn't make sense to me because wouldn't her life just be better if you gave her prosthetic teeth? <laughs> Sure seems like it. <laughs> but, you know, so that was one thing that I couldn't stop thinking about. I like the atmosphere of this film. I, I, I was kind of, I was kind of on board with it as it was going. Because this is, a, this is a, a young girl trapped in a house, hasn't really seen the outside world. And then there's a flip, uh, that, or flip, I always, I always say flip that was switched. Uh, a switch that was flipped where they start to entertain the idea of taking her out into the world. And I was still kind of on board with this film uh going like okay cool like like the first time that she tries on boots right she's gonna go outside she's never worn boots before and and like the the amazement that she is portraying of being able to put on boots for the first time i was like i was like all right cool now we're getting somewhere and this film just like for some reason never pulled me in and i i watched it and i sort of just kind of was watching weird stuff happen and then never really caring about what was happening. And there's a bunch of stuff that's revealed at the end and I didn't care when that was revealed. Um, and I just, for me, I don't know what this film was trying to do. And I went in for something that was weird and I think I got exactly what it was offering. And I just, for me, I just didn't care. And I, I, I didn't hate it so much as was bored by it. Um, which I know is a horrible thing to say in film criticism, but I just, I just for me, I didn't care about it. Um, you were curious about whether you, you were potentially not going to be able to catch your screening of it. And I said, just try to watch it. And once you get to a certain moment in time, if the film isn't working for you, it probably won't work for you. But if it's working for you by then, you've got a good idea of what you're getting. So that, that might be there. So my question for you, Stephen, is was that recommendation useful and then what did you think of the film i mean i i finished the movie and no part of me was going to bail i just don't bail on movies like for whatever reason i have to finish after i start um i basically agree with your assessment complete i i think the atmosphere of this movie is really good actually it's kind of like david lynch meets tim burton like it, it is a very twisted but very fully realized fantasy that is very dark and mysterious and odd and i think the plot of the movie is nonsensical and is supposed to be very very difficult if not useless to try to follow and 
that is not really my cup of tea. I can do that when there is an emotional thread I'm following and the movie is like nonlinear, but it is telling me a feeling that I have to convey. Like I can be on board for that. But when the movie is not telling me to follow an emotional thread or a narrative thread, I get bored. I'm like, I'm going to use the same word you did. Like I thought parts of this movie were like stunning visually. Like I think everything you describe as being intellectually ridiculous like collecting saliva and freezing it and making teeth with it like that whole like dark gothic futuristic weird view of the world like i found that very compelling from scene to scene there is a lot of world in this movie that the bar scene for instance reveals that i have no idea about like i kind of think this is like a gothic twist on upstream color but i don't know (laughs) what it means like it is doing a lot of very interesting things, and I understand none of them. And I feel like it didn't inject enough energy into that journey for me to be happy to be bewildered. I felt more like, okay, what you you are making beautiful scenes, like visually, wow, fantastic. What am I watching? Yeah. Um, I didn't dislike it. I think I, I gave it like a middle of the road review, maybe bumped it a little because like it, it looks really oh, yeah, it's, good, it's especially for like compared to almost any other movie. I This might be like the prettiest movie of the whole festival that I saw. That's because um, you didn't see the girl and the spider. <laughs> you're right. Uh, I didn't. But I like David Lynch movies even. I When I don't have a real thing to hold on to, then the most beautiful visual in the world still doesn't work for me. And this like ultimately just didn't really work for me yeah so so this film uh you know i think you said that you had skipped a lot of the like the the intros to, to the films and i, I always just check yeah. them out just to see what the person was saying because sometimes they'll table set and be like this is what you should expect um like for instance uh there was a film in the list i don't remember which one it was but the filmmaker said they wanted to hold us hostage for the next two hours and that's how i felt about that mm. <laughs> Mm. I'm trying to remember which film that was now, um, and I don't remember which one it was. Um, but <clears throat> anyways, what I was going to say is that uh, sometimes if there's a film and somebody mentions this is based off of this book, if if anything doesn't drive with me or if it piques my interest, you know, I'll go to Wikipedia, look up the book and just read the entire plot synopsis, right? So in the middle of this film, I was like, I was like all right, I just need to know... I need to know what I'm in for. Is it going to turn around? Am I going to care? So I went to Wikipedia. There is no, there's not even an entry for this book. <laughs> That's how <laughs> obscure this book is. And, and and when I finally found a like you know like a description on Goodreads or something for the book, it basically told me exactly what I knew already at that point. And I was like, all right, all I know is that things will start to get more and more violent. So at least that like mm-hmm. maybe maybe that'll kind of wake me up a little bit. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> it did not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, well, speaking of movies that hold you hostage, uh, Who Does Salon is specifically about a... The hostage is maybe the wrong word. One person is being held somewhere. Um, I would say this is the polar opposite of Earwig in the sense that this movie is very much plot. Like, I think you texted me calling it capital P plot. Yeah. <laughs> and and I definitely agree. This is, this is a movie that from the get-go, you are like, all right. I know exactly what I'm watching. I know what you're doing. Let's see where this ticking time bomb goes. Um, I don't remember how much was revealed in the synopsis of the movie, so I don't want to spoil too much. But basically, it is about like a 
that Palestinian-Israeli crisis and a woman who's caught in the middle. Kind of classic narrative about, like, there are no winning sides when you're in a in a place that is reduced to ruin. You know, there's the Palestinian freedom fighters and there's the Israeli police, and both of them are terribly exploitative to this person who is just caught in the middle trying to live her life. Um, I thought this movie was energetic. I was into it for a while. It didn't really pull me in that much, and I think it is that, kind of like Arthur Rambo, this movie has nothing to say that it hasn't said in the setup. Um, I feel like the moment the setup is revealed and it, it, it pivots from being about being in a salon to the actual thriller that it is, that is done perfectly, like, fantastic. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love that twist. Love the way that builds and builds. Once we know we are what we're in the middle of, it kind of felt a little, like, just didactic to me of just people reiterating, like, this is what it's like. There's no winning answer. You're stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'm trying to empower people, but blah, blah, blah. Like, it kind of felt like it was going in circles for a while, and I didn't ultimately feel like it paid off that much more than the premise. Um, I was entertained enough wanting to know what would happen to the characters, and I think everyone acts f- quite well in it. Like, it is never boring to me, but just when it ended, I felt like, I hadn't really seen a full story. I felt like I saw a setup to a story that could have been a short and been a probably much more powerful short. Yeah, I think this film, a good way to describe it would be you are watching the pilot episode for a series that never got picked up and they just added a conclusion and then released it as a movie. Um, I I, I really, (laughs) really enjoyed most of this film. Like in a way, it's sort of like an episode of Homeland or like 24, yeah, 24. If instead of being Jack Bauer, it's just a woman with her baby. <laughs> it's, and I, I really, I really enjoyed the setup, the whole, how she gets thrust into this. The fact that like, she's not even part of something yet, but there's a collapse outside of her that causes her to suddenly be sh- uh, sucked into it. And I think that like this juxtaposing her, her fears about what could happen and then like Huda in the in the actual interrogation room, the way she plays with whether or not she has power in any given scene. I really liked the way those scenes were were like just the setup for those scenes and the dynamics at play between those different groups of characters. Um, I even liked the her having to sit and have a family dinner with a bunch of people who are visiting having all these conversations mm-hmm. about the scenarios around them when she is like in the middle of the fucking shit right there and just like kind of playing with that. I, I thought it was a really well like conceived of tense uh, thriller. And then the movie ends and you go like, huh? All right. So you just like deal with everything in a phone call and now the movie's over, and I, I felt really let down by the end. But up until that moment, like, also, I'm, I'll be fully honest, I'm really confused at how everything played out in the very, very end. Like, there's like, there's like a two-minute span where all the final pieces are set in motion, and I wasn't quite sure what events triggered. Yeah, I, I kind of think it's a Sopranos ending where you are supposed to end not knowing which way it's going to shake out. I- and and it is about like the impossibility of winning. I, I want to be clear, by the way, I'm not like both sidesing the Palestinian crisis. <laughs> it's more like when you are in a place where 
everyone is reduced to fighting for their lives, then the ability to trust anyone doesn't exist yeah. anymore. And so no matter where she falls, she is screwed as an individual in the system. Yeah. I, but I would 100% watch this show if it was a show. Um, because I think it's I think it's well made. I just think that the way the story resolves is not in line with the quality of what it is up until the very end of the story. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, well, I think in many ways it plays like a TV show, even visually. It feels like an episode of Homeland or something, and it, it does it well. Like it does it completely well. But it just it, when I compare that to Earwig, which is like beautiful atmosphere knows exactly what it wants to do but has no plot this felt like it is all propulsive plot 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 and when that doesn't land anywhere then i feel kind of disappointed in the whole journey that i yeah. went on cool um well speaking of journeys uh... <laughs> can we do a segue for everyone i think we can well there's gotta be a way to do it um, um... don't stop <laughs> but anyways so speaking of journeys that was uh... my Sopranos callback also. <laughs> gotcha. Um, well, the next film we're talking about uh, is a film that I'm going to pronounce incorrectly, even though we talked about it right before recording. This is Untragalde. Untra? Untragalde. Um, Untragalde. Which is a Romanian word that means like between two rivers or banks or something like that. I, I think so, but I think it is like a region of Romania. Okay. Um, but uh, anyways, basically it is this group of humanitarian aid workers who... What they do is they load up a bunch of cars with uh, supplies and stuff like that, and they drive around the Romanian countryside and give supplies to like elderly folks that live in remote areas of of just the land. And uh, this one group, this one particular car of people, um, might get stuck in the mud along the way, and it's sort of the story of their journey and um, uh, kind of what happens overnight as they try to wait for people to come um, get them. Uh, this is a film that I think is, first of all, oh, Stephen and I watched a bunch of different films in different orders, and we texted about different things, um, and we were texting about uh, certain things, and uh, until we saw a film that we'll talk about a little bit later, um, it was funny to me that like all the films that take place in other countries, like beautiful pristine land everything looks amazing and then we watch one film set in montana and it just looks like trash <laughs> just like yep. nothing is as beautiful as all the other countries on the planet because just their landscapes just have something that we don't have here in the united states uh, but then something flipped that on its head and something portrayed montana in a very beautiful way that i thought was kind of amazing um, but anyways digressing here um i think this film is incredibly well made i think it's well acted i love this the script of what's happening. I love the interactions between all the characters. I had a really great time watching this film and uh, everything about it is great. I think by the end, part of me in the back of my head was going like, so they kind of just went and then came back and then that's the story. <laughs> like part of me was like confused at like, there, there wasn't a real conflict there. It was sort of, of, of just a film where you're watching people go out and do their thing and they get stuck a little bit and then everything's fine. Um, and I think that part of that let me down, but I can't help but really enjoy the moment to moment of this, especially when they pick up the older, uh, <laughs> the older guy. <laughs> he really yeah. ingests a lot of, uh, I mean, he does ingest conflict, but also some humor and kind of just some real heart too, as, as certain characters portray him and like not portray certain characters, see him and view him and act mm -hmm. differently towards him based on their sort of own personalities. But I, I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, and I had a good time with it. And I think it's, it's, 
it has a I don't even know what genre it is because it's kind of an adventure film, but it's really just like a bunch of people sit in the car and then some of them know each other and some of them know each other less. And you're kind of just watching these dynamics play out between characters. Um, but I found it incredibly engrossing the entire time. And by the end, I still kind of questioned what I watched, but I can't deny the beauty of the environment and the, the, the like way this film was pulled off. So I'm glad that you also really like this movie because I can't explain it either, but I think this is a brilliant little bottle film. Like it is like piercing. It's unpredictable. The genre is unclear. Um, there are times that it feels like a Blair Witch Project type <laughs> movie. And then there are times when it is a sitting around talking movie. And then it ends without spoiling the ending as I think a like really impactful little social drama um, about, what life is like in this place. And I think it is just such an intelligent script. It feels so natural, all the dialogue, even though it it is a bunch of characters in a situation that are repeating the same thing over and over again and getting anxious and frustrated. And I believed it a hundred percent. I love it is executed so well. Everyone is really, really, really good in it. Um, it did. I, I felt some personal resonance because I've, I haven't been to Romania, uh, like especially not Antragalda, but I've been to uh, a part of Moldova that had a similar kind of village where you basically drive through an area where there aren't a lot of people and there's very clear poverty. And I remember being told that like the situation of elderly people there is really difficult and people don't have others to rely on. And um, what happens to someone in that situation? Like, I, I think this movie ultimately is a a genre riff on what it would feel like to be a humanitarian worker in a place. And the competing feelings you feel about that, where you want to help people, you think you're being noble, but the reality of helping people is so much messier and more uncomfortable than the savior complex that you want it to be when you go into it. Um, the people you help may be ungrateful. They may be difficult. You may be doing the wrong thing by helping them. You may be making it worse. And I think this movie dramatizes that feeling in a very, could be a horror, could be an adventure, could be an everything way. And I think it is just very, very, very smart. And it never makes you wait so long that you will be bored or lose interest. It always keeps you in the moment. But then by the time it ends, you are like, what did I just watch? <laughs> and I, I thought it was kind of beautiful and like very, very, very smart. And just a really the perfect kind of festival thing that I would never in a million years have thought to watch. Um, and I was really glad I did. I thought it was like, powerful and well done and made me think in the end and the last like five or ten minutes kind of recontextualized the whole movie in a way that i i really like because you you can like the whole movie and then have it flip in the end that is like the best combination yeah. to me um yeah i was I, I was really into it um speaking of movies <laughs> that i was really into uh, Lakewood is not one of them. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we're going to have a disagreement here or what. I wish this had come right after Huda's Salon because there would have been so many tie-ins for that, like <laughs> episodes of 24. Um, so what I, what I wanted to say about Lakewood is 2021 has given us a few movies that like have really eloquently tackled the emotional impact of 
uh, mass tragedy events. You know, uh, Mass out of Sundance was a movie that we both loved a lot that is about parents discussing the aftermath of a tragedy and trying to grapple with it in like a really direct way that felt very refreshing and powerful. Uh, The Fallout out of South by Southwest was about a girl who has experienced this and she sees things through the lens of like irony and is kind of about like how do you approach these things indirectly how do you work through your issues while living a regular life um lakewood basically says what if we took those themes but instead made just a garbage action movie out of it um i i'm so curious if you're going to defend this movie or not because i hated this movie i like really hated it um the premise of this movie is that Naomi Watts is a mother. Um, she's out for a run, so she's like miles away from civilization. When she learns that uh, the school that her children go to, the high school that her son goes to and is connected to an ele- elementary school her daughter goes to, is involved in an active shooting incident. And it is a chaotic, very similar to uh, a movie, The Guilty, that we'll talk about later. It is a chaotic film that is all through the lens of someone who only has a phone, can only call people, can only try to figure out information through competing sources. And it is about, like, the desperation, the hopelessness that you would feel in that situation. I can write so many bullet points of why this should work well and is about all the feelings you would have in a tragedy, but I felt like it was exploitative and manipulative and it tries to make her into like fucking Jack Bauer in the last 30 (laughs) minutes in a way that I was so angry watching this movie, how it took like a powerful subject and turned it into like an adrenaline rush thriller. Um, I feel like Naomi Watts is never, I don't blame her, but her character, it is never believable how she reacts to situations, how she parses information when she decides to be angry, when she decides to fight back, when she doesn't, it, the whole thing, I just kept wishing I was watching Mass instead, uh, or the Fallout, like, it was not a flattering comparison, and I was really disappointed, because I was looking forward to this movie, and I felt like it was just really, really, really shitty. So I won't try to defend, defend this film, um, but I will try to talk about stuff it does well. Um, I, so... I think, in general, I think any any film that deals with mass tragedy that doesn't center on, doesn't try to make it a war film, um, that centers on people mm-hmm. outside of the event looking in and doesn't glorify the shooter in any way, I think is a positive move and I think is a good step. Like, you like it better than Elephant, basically. Oh, yeah, I hated Elephant. <laughs> Um, and and I think that that this film is doing that, right? Like it is, it is looking at this event from a woman that only has a phone, as you said, and who can't see any details. Like she can pull up the news on her phone, but if she's got to make calls, she can't watch the news there. Like, I, I like that premise. I like that sort of situation. Forget about how far she has to go to get there and how long it's going to take her and whether or not she can get lifts. Screw all that crap, right? Like, but just the premise of, I have been out on this jog, have suddenly been clued into the fact that something horrible is happening. I don't know the state of my children. I need to figure out what's going on. I, I liked that, and that felt emotionally resonant, and I liked what it was doing. I also liked the slow build of this film. I mean, I am, I am one who is fine watching 
uh, trailers. I don't care about being spoiled for the setup of films. Like part of the thing that's like crazy about going to a film festival is like you're watching 30 things that you have no idea what you're about to watch, right? Like some of these things are things that I probably wouldn't have gone to theaters to see if I knew what it was <laughs> I was saying um, for, for, you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing, that's a completely separate argument. But it's just like generally I like to say like I'm watching this film because it sounded like a good, interesting premise. Um, this film so anyways so what i was trying to say is that like you know that this is a film that's going to involve an active shooter situation right like that's what you are watching to see but the way it slowly plays with her being on this run and you're like a cop car goes by you know cop cars go by all the time and then later on three of them go by and then she's calling to get the status of her parents' car that she's supposed to pick up from the shop. And he's like, yo, you should probably come back later in the afternoon. I don't know why, but the cops have the street blocked off. And it's the slow build of her waiting for her to realize you're watching a film where her she's going to be connected to a school shooting. So you are waiting mm-hmm. for her to figure it out. But I like the way the tension slowly builds and she slowly starts to go like, wait, you know what? I'm finally realizing that helicopters, police cars, blocked off streets equals something bad's happening. And then when that kicks in for her, I I like that setup. I like that build. I like what's going on. I like that we're outside of the school. That's not important. What I don't like is that this film thinks it's fucking clever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There is there is something you see in literally the opening shot where like the first notes I wrote down were. This thing means this. This is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm the film purposely wanted me to see that and think that and then it's going to fuck with that later on and i think the way that it messes with that and the way it tries to 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 do that doesn't make any sense like it it the police in this imaginary world are the stupidest detectives in the world <laughs> it's like yeah. they go like eeny meeny miny mo uh yeah let's go investigate this thing <laughs> right <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't make any sense oh uh, like like i I will admit I hated the movie more when it was in that part and I thought it was going to stay there. Uh, I was like, I am genuinely angry with how you're handling this material. Um, That anger just didn't subside later when more plot turns. But but I think for me in general, I think this is a good example of a COVID film Um, because we've seen a lot of films, especially at festivals this year where it's like, Clearly, this idea started as a we're in COVID. What can we shoot? Let's do this thing. And everything feels just sort of COVID-y. This film feels like if it came out five years ago, it would be exactly the same as when it came out right now. Right. Like we know it was shot during COVID, but it feels just like a one person, one location film and not a well, we can really only film with one person. We'll put everybody else on phones like it, it feels natural in this setting. So to me, I was appreciative of like, yeah you're a COVID film. It doesn't feel like a COVID film. Like congrats. <laughs> um, but I think by the end, mm-hmm. it felt very, very standard, traditional. And the, the twistiness of where it went felt kind of annoying. I don't care that she becomes Jack Bauer. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, I think the certain set of skills she has was kind of funny to me, honestly. Um, but I, but I think I enjoyed the beginning enough that like I enjoyed the film kind of overall. I didn't hate it. Um, but it definitely wasn't something mm-hmm. that like became like it, yeah, it got bumped up by things that I actively disliked, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll, I'm, I'm glad you didn't hate it. For me, this was, uh, the actual, last ranking thing in the festival (laughs) 
for me. I was like, I think it doesn't help that I was comparing it to movies that do such a sensitive, interesting job of dealing with the subject. Um, I just felt like manipulated and annoyed. And, and then I felt like it wasn't even pulling off the blockbustery version of it. Like that also had problems. And I just was, I was just actively very annoyed at this yeah. movie. Sensitive um, it is not, but I think non-exploitative it is fucking yeah i I mean uh, sure exploitative is a tough word to bring up when this is we've been living with mass shooting events for so long like it is a part of the culture there's no reason it can't be 24 or 5 it just um it it just rubbed me the wrong way it it felt like it the setup is all about it makes sense because you have no agency and that is what is so hard about these situations you send your kids off to school you can't protect them you can't do anything about it and that is so tragic and scary and when you learn about a thing like this happening how horrendous that would feel and i would respect the hell out of this movie if it stayed in that territory but it doesn't and i think that is a cowardly move on the movie's part gotcha. all right well speaking of films that center around a truck <laughs> and a cowardly move <laughs> Um, we're going to get into a little film called Montana Story. <laughs> um, uh, essentially, this is a story about a, um, a young man whose father is incredibly ill, um, seemingly not COVID. He has had a stroke um, and he's sort of coming back to sort of deal with his father's affairs because his father probably doesn't have that much longer left on this earth. And uh, while he is sort of visiting the house, dealing with everything, um, his sister, who he hasn't spoken to in several years, arrives on scene. And this is sort of the story of those two dealing with something um, from their past and dealing with the current present of the situation there. Um, This is a film that I thought for most of the film was just fine. Um, I... I think that this film didn't have a lot to draw me in. It was just kind of nice. And I think that by the end, even though I know exactly what's going to happen, <laughs> I still can't get away from the fact that it still works for me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Montana looks like trash through the whole movie. And that's really <laughs> just a damn shame. Um, but, but the film started, I didn't like the lead. Um, I didn't particularly feel like anything interesting was happening it all felt very uh surface level like you know the bank's gonna take our stuff and blah 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 we gotta deal with it um but i think once we get into the backstory of these siblings and their relationship to the father and the way the environment brings all that to a head i it it just it worked by the end where it's like by the end i just couldn't be like i can't not i can't hate this movie because it i don't want to say it stick the landing but it brought me enough emotional heft by the end that I was like, I can't deny that I was moved by what this film was doing, even though it is slightly manipulative. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I, what, what I called this, it's a wait for rental Sundancey drama with a must see Haley Lee Richardson (laughs) performance. And uh, like, I think, yeah, the central character, he does his job as well as he's supposed to, because he's kind of a foil type figure. He's not really supposed to be the character that we completely empathize yeah. through. Um, it, it is, 
I think it is a very classic indie drama about an estranged family, family that went through some shit. We reveal over time what it is about their past that they are feeling. Um, Lots of movies have tackled this specifically around the death of a parent that you had complicated feelings for. Even Magnolia, right? Like, There's lots of things where this happens, and it is kind of a well-worn trope. Um, I think this movie does it well. I think it's well acted. It is powerful in spite of itself like you said like you know where it is going you know what it's going to do but it still hits pretty hard um i think it's a little too on the nose there are a few places that the characters just say how they're feeling directly and i think it'd be a better movie if they didn't do that and there's also a a caretaker character in this movie who i feel like is being given a little bit of the I am going to be the supporting character who dispenses wisdom and solves all your problems for you effect. And the movie doesn't use him to great effect. I feel it has a lot of tropes and this is a kind of tropey movie that just happens to have really damn good actress in it, uh, who sells all the material. And ultimately I liked it more than I disliked it, but it was one of my more excited films at the festival just because of Haley Richardson. And I was definitely a little let down compared to what I thought it, yeah. it could have been, but she's great in the movie. So watch it. It'll work on you. It's going to do what it says it's going to do. And then we'll all go home. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it was no Columbus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't think it was quite a Columbus. No, but she is good. She's as good as she is in anything. Um, and that, that's all you really wanted out of this movie. It didn't need to be a masterpiece. Um, so the next movie on the list, God, what is my, what is my segue going to be for this one? Um, you know, relationships with parents are always complicated, whether it is a father who's passing away or maybe a grandmother um, who's <laughs> passed away. Um, this next movie is, I think, the first thing either of us watched in yep. the festival, uh, which was... Uh, Petite Maman, which is the uh, film by Celine Sciamma, who did Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, two years ago. And I was quite excited for this based only on her being the one who directed it. I hadn't learned anything about it. Um, it is a movie that centers around people have gone home, back to a childhood home, because uh, the death of a grandmother. So the mother and father are both there along with a little girl who I think is eight years old. Um, and she is grappling with the fact that her grandmother is gone. Her mom is clearly going through some turmoil, realizing she's lost her mother. And I don't remember how much the synopsis gives away, but I'll just <laughs> well, say the title, if you the translate little girl, it to English. <laughs> sure. But that could mean, that could mean lots of things. Um, anyway, this little girl goes out in the woods and she makes a friend and through that friend, she kind of comes to terms a little bit with what has happened um, in her life. I think this movie is adorable in its own way. It is smaller than I expected, and it didn't move me as much as I wanted it to. But I think it does... What is interesting about the movie, both the blessing and the curse of this movie, is that it is centering around a person who is eight years old. Not 12, not... 13 not someone who is comprehending the idea of death or loss or the gravity that that holds for people someone who is right before that age-wise and what that means is the whole movie feels like a very innocent fairy tale about about life at death um i it moved me 
quite a bit as it went along when I tuned into that being what I was watching. I think it becomes about a little child. It's a bunch of things. It it is kind of a wish fulfillment movie about getting to go back, getting to say goodbye, getting to see things in the past that you maybe took for granted, getting closure that the real world doesn't give you. Um, And it's also just kind of about innocence and about like a little kid recognizing a new thing about the world she didn't know before. I, I was charmed by the movie. I thought it was charming and lovely in a very small way, but ultimately that's all I really got from it. It's charming and lovely and small. It definitely didn't blow me away the way Portrait of a Lady on Fire did. I don't think it was trying to. I think it was decidedly a very stripped down movie that just is like a little cute feels dismissive but like it is definitely also cute uh meditation on it's in the title steven it's a petite (laughs) yeah it's a petite it's a petite film um that leverages identical twins to great effect uh yeah i liked it i didn't love it but i was thoroughly charmed by it are are they actually identical twins i think they are okay because there's definitely scenes where i was like all right which one is which (laughs) yeah yeah i think they're identical but well they have enough subtle differentiators that i felt like i could always tell who was who but yeah it, it I, I i liked it. it it was definitely a kind of slow sweet introduction to the festival that made me wonder how i would have to calibrate like if every movie was going to be that pace i'm glad there was more variety but i was happy with the slow and sweet in in this one case yeah. Um, so quite famously on this podcast, I am the one person who wasn't completely blown away by Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, I don't even remember my comments at the time. Unimportant. So I just want to say that for the record, I read nothing about this film, but I was like, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, we're going to, we're going to watch it. And we're going to talk about it. Um, I would refer mm. to this film as the French where the wild things are, um, because it is a story mm. mm-hmm. of a child who has a certain situation going on at home and escapes into the woods where uh, they try to resolve that by the world they create from them out in the woods. Um, and I think that that aspect of the story is, as, as Stephen said, is quite, quite charming. The, the little girls, the twins, um, they are fantastic in this film. Um, the story is a little too fantastical at times there's a point where the girls have written their own play and are performing a play that describes stuff relevant to the things that are being dealt with in the film and it's not it's not like a little kid's version of a play it is like a really intricate very in-depth difficult dialogue play (laughs) Mm. (laughs) where people are deciding whether or not they can leave a marriage due to a child (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was, I was, it, was yeah. it was maybe a bridge too far. <laughs> the the level of fantastical mm-hmm. real like for some reason giant puppet creatures carrying a child and building forts in the woods seems more realistic to me than, than eight year old children performing this incredibly elaborate play. Um, but all that being said, I I enjoyed this film enough. I I I thought I was never not enthralled by the the two girls interacting with each other and sort of like playing through their world. I think it's interesting how the characters just state what is happening in the film to each other. Like, by the way, yeah, you need me to tell you who you are. I've known the whole time. 
Like there, there was a weird dynamic, right? Like it seemed like it's it's not a character realizing what she's experiencing. It's the character having known the entire time, telling the person who is new to the scenario. Who in, in a normal film, it would be a reveal for the lead character what is happening. But in this one, it seems like it's a reveal to the other person. Well, one the thing that I think brings this back into eight year old mentality in a very charming way is. It is stated directly, and the other person accepts it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's um, like, this, like yeah, okay, <laughs> that seems right. It is so. That is, you're you're right. That is so perfectly little children. Like, oh, by the way, I can fly yeah. now, and you're like, of course you can. <laughs> yeah, sure. Should we go fly? Okay, um, great. There is um, there is so. Where the wild things are is a really good comparison, by the way. I wish I it was of that. That is definitely what this it was. Movie literally, is like the third bullet I wrote down in my. <laughs> In my stream of consciousness uh, notes uh, that I was taking. One of the other fun bullets, by the way, was I hope those girls have life jackets underneath their acting jackets. Because Oh, yeah. I thought about that. There's a scene too. where these girls are just on a raft and like no one's in the raft with them. Um, and it's just the middle of this like little lake. And I was just like fearful for the children's lives. But that that scene, by the way, had a like one of those very moving soundtrack moments to me. I don't even remember what was playing, but it is very different tonally from the rest of the movie. And I was like, ah, you got me movie. I don't even know what you're doing, but you got me. Oh yeah. Speaking of films with very different tones. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say films where people might be afraid to get in a boat. <laughs> true. I could go with that one as well too. Um, the next film um, on the list is a little film called Salome, Salome um, uh, which is about three uh, mercenaries who have just finished a job and uh, they have extracted a drug lord and they are escaping and there's a problem with their plane and they need to land in this, uh, this island in Senegal um, and they, right, it was Senegal? Yeah, yeah, they, they were committing their heist in gambia and then they yeah. land in Senegal. And, and basically they land at this sort of uh resort uh, of sorts it's a small little tiny like little tiny village with like a little fence around the outside which has a very interesting uh rule of you can stay here for free but then we divide up the chores to keep this thing sort of going and uh, as this film goes on and these uh mercenaries try to figure out how they're gonna fix their plane and get back out uh you know, things get all twisty turvy and things get pretty uh, interesting. And uh, I, I really like this film. <laughs> this, I, I didn't know what to expect. It just has a badass like cover image on the website. It's just a, it's a young child holding a revolver and like a chain, like a shackles that he is presumably gotten out of. Um, and it's all like silhouetted against just like endless body of water um and you know i walked in from the second this thing opens like i will watch the movie about those three mercenaries that happened before this movie like you pan over a giant just like wasteland of just bodies everywhere and these guys that just have this like swagger and skill and like friendship it's just like every ounce of this thing is oozing with this like really badass feeling at the beginning and then you land in this place that has this like interesting sort of mechanic of like you come stay in the huts and yeah uh, you know we divide up the chores in the morning and you can stay forever and everything's super great and then you start to get introduced to other people which might be able to cause problems for this mercenary group and then it just suddenly just takes this like hard left turn <laughs> 
into the most ridiculous film I've ever seen, and it was so badass, and I loved every second of this movie. Um, I I don't I don't know I don't know why it just was so awesome. <laughs> uh, I completely agree. Uh, this movie is. It's like scrappy. It's clearly low budget. You know, uh, it's disorienting. It, the genre shifts around a lot, and it is cool as all fucking hell. <laughs> I, I was very into this movie. Um, it it opens with a there's a confidence to this movie that I really like. Like the moment it opens, and we are in hitman mode, and it is like title cards are coming up, and it's describing the situation, I was immediately on yeah. board. I was immediately like, take me wherever you want to take me. Um, the characters, like the, the character actors here, are so cool. Like, every, everyone is so distinctly defined. Um, and it, it is just awesome. It is an awesome movie. And as it unfolds, it becomes about a lot of things, right? This is a bunch of themes stapled together. It is like the cool action movie it becomes a horror movie it is clearly about like grief and the ghosts of your past and like like it has really heavy themes and it's pulling them into a genre playground that is just a fucking blast yeah. <laughs> to watch the whole way through um it's really did you ever see atlantics from two uh -oh. years ago uh, so that so that was another movie set in senegal that was kind of about like being haunted by your past and like the ghost of previous crime i i imagine in african cinema this is a common thing because so many terrible things have been done by other countries to african you know people living yeah. in africa um that movie was a very kind of sleepy almost fairy tale and it's very moving in a very slow methodical way this movie is like that on crack <laughs> this movie is just like we are going to deal with heavy themes and we are going to do it in a tarantino-y type shoot 'em up movie and also we are going to at the end turn it into like um district nine like we, we're, we're just gonna go like sci-fi action everything gets thrown in yeah. a blender like, um <laughs> yeah i i just loved the kaleidoscope of things in this movie i thought it was so fresh and energetic and exciting and i i had so much fun watching it and i, I was just blown away i think it's such an awesome like low budget there, there's movie. a moment where it's nighttime and then suddenly it's daytime <laughs> and i was like yeah. oh my god what am i it's watching badass. this is so great <laughs> <laughs> that is the twit that is the turn in the movie where it turns from i know what i'm watching into i have no fucking idea and the movie is never going to tell me um there, there's so much cool stuff too that like it, i i don't know who it was quote made for like if it was considered african cinema or from the get-go they were trying to hit an international audience but they don't hold your hand through a lot of the kind of lore uh, there's definitely a bunch of like Afro-Caribbean stuff in the movie about like different ways of hauntings and curses and different words that people use and different like references they make to past events. And I love that it doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. It just like throws you in the middle of it and makes you figure it out. Um, yeah, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of people who are haunted by past <laughs> events, <laughs> um, the next film, th this is one that I actually wasn't going to even put on my list. And then I think you mentioned it at some point. And I was like, okay, yeah, I forgot about that movie. I have one more slot left. I'll add it. I, I forget how it happened, <laughs> but I couldn't remember it, the description it, in at all. In my head, 
almost the exact opposite thing happened where like <laughs> that, that's funny because I, I think both of our comments were like cool like a uh, relationship potentially self-destructing like while on vacation could be interesting um but i i in, in my head i thought you wanted to see it which is why i put it on the list <laughs> oh see no i i remember now so we both put it on the list but then I was catching a rescreening later because I couldn't see the original one. And you name dropped it in comparison to another movie we're going to oh, review yeah. later. And I was like, oh, Chris watched Silentland. Okay, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it then. Um, anyway, Silentland is a Polish film set in Italy about a couple who go on vacation. They're clearly wealthy people. Um, they're renting a house and then tragedy befalls again i don't know what the synopsis gives away but it doesn't but it, it is basically uh the loneliest planet like one incident happens and then the rest of the movie is about them dealing with the fallout of that incident what it might mean for their relationship and what it means in general about who they are and what they stand for um i thought this movie kind of like earwig very different from earwig in terms of the tone but like Earwig, I thought this was a beautiful looking movie. Um, the, one of the more visually like beautiful things of the festival. Everything felt very intentional. The composition, there are lots of shots in like mirrors and from far away obstructed by things. And it, it is a very interesting look at a couple, a relationship. But I didn't understand the character motivations at all for the overwhelming majority of the movie. And ultimately that hurt it for me because i i felt like i respect the hell out of what the movie is doing there's a commitment to it um i felt this way about cold war a couple of years ago which was also a polish movie that had lots of acclaim and i think i just don't get polish cinema <laughs> like there's a um from those two examples at least modern polish cinema there's like a a distance from the characters where we're not let into their mindset at all or let into what it is that makes them tick. And here that, that just made me feel kind of put off. I felt like the characters were stand-ins for big themes about like rich people who don't care about others or a couple in a relationship where they're so caught up in their own shit that they can't see the like chaos that they're leaving behind. But I didn't feel like they were real people. And that, kind of hurt the movie for me in the end so i i felt like it looked beautiful i was happy from scene to scene just watching it but it was also very slow and methodical and i didn't feel like what it built up to was meaningful on a character level because i didn't tap into the emotions of the characters so I, I was kind of let down by this one but i would love to see what the director does next because again i think she made like a very beautiful looking movie uh, i just don't think the storyline really held up all of that yeah, I think I felt similarly. I I mean, part of the problem is that I just didn't like these this couple from the beginning. Like, I didn't see why they liked each other. <laughs> I, I didn't know what was going on. And it felt a little bit like, I mean, if I can compare it again to the same film that we are comparing to something else later, it's kind of like he like in a way they're like the the couple from The White Lotus where they're like we ordered yeah. a place <laughs> with a pool we need a pull um and and it's like this character these characters were just like annoying like it didn't seem like they ever wanted to be in the pool they just paid for a pool so they want the pool and like i didn't yeah they want the yeah. pineapple sweet and I, I didn't really get like what they were doing or what they cared about or what they were even doing on this vacation i think it 
I think the story of what happens on their property was less interesting than the way the local police deal with it. Like, once they came into the picture, I kind of began to perk up and be like, oh, this is really interesting. Like, there is... Like, I care less about these characters um, and more about what the police force is allowing to have transpired um, in a way. And I, I think that that became interesting. But then when it bounces back to the characters and we're just looking at, like, whether or not they can say out loud... Like, it, it's... This is... I, I don't want to... I don't want to spoil stuff, but this is such a worse version of The Forgiven. <laughs> mm. Um, which deals with similar themes, right? Like, like they're like literal similar themes, I think on many levels. And I think that, that that film is doing something way more interesting than what this film is doing. And it's like, I, I just, when I watched them, they were too quiet and reserved and on their own trips while being present in the same place. And I just didn't, I didn't get who these people were and I didn't really care and when they brought more people in, I didn't care that those people were going to find out potentially what was going on between them. Um, and I never really understood what it, this film was trying to do in general. Yeah. I think my other comparison for this movie was Bergman Island, which is also, I couldn't actually follow the plot or the motivation behind the characters, but Bergman Island, I felt such a warmth radiating from the lead and here there was no warmth. Like I, I didn't get anything that I could access and hook into. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the forgiven. It is a very interesting comparison. I will say this is the art house drama version of the forgiven. I won't make value statements yeah. yet, but we'll see. <laughs> um, well, this next transition writes itself. <laughs> Speaking of silent things, we're now transitioning from silent land to silent night, um, which is a film. I don't even know how much we want to say about it because of all the films, I feel like this one benefits yeah. the most from knowing very little. Um, yeah. I would not give away the premise of yeah. the movie. Either. Basically the idea without going too far is that a bunch of people are gathering together for Christmas <laughs> and you are, it, it's like family and friends are all coming together for this on this one property to uh, enjoy a Christmas together. Um, and uh, I thought this film, man, it's so hard to talk about, not talk. About. I think this film is terrific um, on premise alone, uh, which I'm not going to say what it is, but I, I, I really found this an incredibly compelling film. Maybe not for anything that I'm actually watching, but just what is happening in the world of the film and how people might respond to something like that happening. Um, I just found this incredibly compelling. It boggles the mind to know that this was written before COVID started. Um, and I just, I, I, I just found it an incredibly compelling film and, and wildly entertaining too at times. Um, and once again, we have the kid from Jojo rabbit who was amazing in this um, still blew my mind when I looked up and that's his actual brothers <laughs> who are playing the twin brothers. Mm -hmm. um, pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it and I still, it is of all the films that we saw, it is one that I th still think about. Like even once I've done watching 28 other films or 27 other films, I still think about just the, the sheer premise of this film and what it was doing. And I, I call it the last shot of the film, like way early on, <laughs> but it's still when it happened, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. now I think about the ramifications of that. <laughs> I I hear you. Um, 
This is a movie, you know, on, when I looked it up afterwards, and this movie was produced by Matthew Vaughn, uh, who is the guy who did Kick-Ass and Kingsman and a bunch of other things. And I think that fits because like Kingsman, this is a movie that I think premise-wise, brilliant, brilliant. And, and I I knew a little bit. I unfortunately knew like enough to have it not completely surprise me where the movie goes, but I still... I got to mostly experience it blind, which I want the whole audience to as well. Um, I feel like this is a movie that the premise is hilarious and brilliant and a really great setup. And I think the comedy is a little too broad in a way that undercuts it just to tinge, just to t- I, I was so happy with the premise of the movie. I was happy watching it. Glad I watched it. I put a little heart next to it on Letterboxd. I'm a fan. Um, I think the characters, with the exception of Jojo Rabbit Kid, are a little bit more like broadly caricaturized than they need to be, and that makes it a fun mishmash of genres. Like this is the this is the heartfelt Christmas family drama that surprises you in a lot of different ways, and maybe part of that means it has to have broad characters too to keep us in that more like romantic family drama-y territory while other things are also going on. Um, yeah, I love the idea. I just, there was something about the dials that didn't totally work for me and made me just like, like the movie substantially, but not love the final product. But my brain wants to chew on it for a while because I think it is a very fun coup uh, that it is playing. And I think uh, Michael Buble especially I want to believe that song was written for this movie. I hope it was. Um, and I love I, it for that. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I just, I, for me, the comedy works, but it works not at the beginning, but it works once the plot is fully revealed at what's going on. Then the comedy begins to work for me more better. Um, there's a brilliant scene, which is, involves a bunch of characters beginning to confess thoughts that they probably wouldn't have confessed other otherwise if the situation was different while somebody solo plays Scrabble. <laughs> yep. It's so fucking great. Oh my God. It's, it's great. so good. Yeah, that is great. No, I completely agree. Um, God damn transitions for this next one. This next movie I actually watched immediately after Silent Night, chronologically speaking. So I felt a lot of transitions in the moment. Um, Let's see. Speaking of... No, I'm going to break the streak. No. I have no clever transition. <laughs> uh, I can tell you this movie, like Silent Night, had a character from Jojo Rabbit in it. <laughs> <laughs> Taika Waititi appears very briefly. But that isn't a good, that isn't a good segue. No. The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne um, is a biopic. One of two films of the festival uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch. Um in this case, he is playing the kind of eccentric artist who I had never heard of before, Louis Wayne, who became famous for not only making pictures and paintings of cats, but apparently popularizing the very idea of a cat as a domesticated animal, something that is cute rather than just a creature that you use to catch mice. Um, watching this movie, I couldn't help but feel that this is what radioactive wanted to be last year i didn't think of like it's so hilarious i did not think of that at the time but as you when you just said the words that i think this is what and i was like radioactive (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah this is completely what radioactive wanted to do they're both movies about you know 
I, I'm just going to say early 20th century. I'm not going to look up when Marie Curie happened, but like turn of the century characters in Europe who are eccentric, who are obsessed with a thing, who are clouded a bit by what that thing represents. And the movie wants to be straightforward biopic while having splashes of style that are informed by what that character ultimately contributed to the world. Um, Radioactive, I thought, did not work very well. Um, I thought that got really hung up on its own style, and it didn't actually do the job of being a good biopic. I think this is a good straight-down-the-plate biopic. Um, it isn't fantastic. It didn't blow me away in any way. But it tells me who Louis Wayne was. <laughs> it tinges the whole movie with his style. It takes a few wild swings stylistically, and it shows me how a person can be struggling with a lot of kind of mental demons while also producing art that is infectious and beloved by people. Um, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was pretty good in the movie, and almost none of it else stuck with me at all. But I found it completely pleasant, sometimes even delightful, depending on what was happening in the movie. It went down real smooth, real easy, and I will probably never think about it again. But it was a fine biopic that had enough splashes of color and stylistic flourishes that made me be along for the journey. And that is how I felt. Yeah, so I, I like the character of Louis Wayne. I thought that, like, the first third of this film, where it's him, his meet cute and like the second you see the only other eccentric character in the story so far, I'm just like, this is great. I love this. Mm. <laughs> like, I just want them to be happy and somehow end up with a million cats. And, and like, I, I was kind of on board from that. Um, Louis Wayne's life <laughs> maybe was not as on board for that. And this story goes more into like the full life and not just this like moment of time where he had this woman that he had met um, who sort of inspires him to sort of like see the world and, 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 and turn it into the art for to because he has a unique way of looking at the world. Um, I, I think in general, the film was fine. Like I, I liked the character a lot, um, but I kind of got to a point where I just didn't that all the beats had been hit, right? It's, it's a, yeah. a man who is never going to settle down and uh, a bunch of sisters who only want to settle down but it's just not working for them and it's the life of like this weird family who the 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 person who's theoretically supposed to provide for them being like the male at this point in time um uh wasn't smartly managing his art career <laughs> and you just sort of see kind of the entire family descend into madness in different ways in their own respects and i think that for me i the you know, you might say this uh, uh, This film might be called The Electric Life of Interest Wayne, because um, my interest is waning <laughs> the, the further we got into See, it. I, my joke was that this film could be called The Potential Energy of the Cat, uh, but that doesn't work in this context because we haven't talked about the other movie yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I think for me, I, I liked the character, but I, I think there are... It, I mean, it comes down to, it's a problem that I have when I watch films where I, if a person succeeds at a thing, I want you to communicate to me how they were uniquely suited to succeed at that one thing. And I want to see, I want you to make me care for them. 
And I liked him more when he was this guy double drawing comics for the newspaper, you know, like, like that, what mm-hmm. that character was fun. Like him on the train, just bumping into random people and having conversations. That was fun. Like when it turns into, you know, um, the Irishman and you just see like old man Wayne <laughs> in the home telling a story. Like, I, I, like I just didn't care by then. And I yep. never understood why, like when you're halfway through a biopic, and and somebody makes a statement about how like I didn't copyright all my shit, like we're not getting any money for this, and then you still have half a movie where I guess he just didn't continue, like he still didn't co- like I didn't understand what was happening with the the finances of what was happening in his family, and it became a thing where I'm like, oh, you just want to see, you just want to show me the weird guy and not explain the actual mechanics of how his life degraded over time right so i i think just for me it didn't really keep me on board once i realized we're just there to like look at all louis wayne yeah no i i agree with all that i again like it is a middle of the road biopic and a classic biopic problem is they decide to tell the story of a whole life of a person when the whole life is not what is interesting and certainly not what can be communicated in an hour and a half um if this movie had been about what makes him tick and it was about the moment of time in time when he meets his wife and develops his artistic sensibility, I think it would be great because everyone is up for the task. Like the actors are charming. The tone is there. It has a lot of flourishes that make it fun, but it decides to be about his whole life end to end. And I don't think his life end to end is that interesting. I think the interestingness tapers off about halfway through. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think what I wanted is the, the theory of every cat, right? <laughs> That's yeah. the movie that I want to see. Yep. Whereas this one definitely tapers off. And it, um, it was okay to me that it did that because I felt like that it's just a part of watching a normal biopic is bracing yourself for that. So I didn't mind it too much. Um, and I thought Cumberbatch was always good at what he did. He was always like eccentric and believable. And then the movie, the more he goes off the rails, the more the movie is having fun with like asides where it's just showing us like splashes of color or little montages or different other things. And so I feel like the movie was trying to cover for that. But yeah, I think the script has a fundamental problem and that is just true of a lot of biopics like this. Cool. Well, you ready for this transition, Steven? <laughs> oh, I can think of a few that you could do. So, for this one. It, we we talked for a little bit longer, but I'm going to go back to a quote you said earlier. So speaking of biopics about characters who are dealing with mental demons, mm-hmm. we are now talking about The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is a biopic about uh, the woman Tammy Faye and the couple that was her and her husband, whose name Stephen remembers? Uh, Jim Baker. Sure. Um, but basically, it's it's this uh, this group of televangelists who sort of built this entire empire um, and then had that empire, you know, potentially fall later on as they sort of their eyes became bigger than whatever their, their reach exceeded their grasp. Um, yeah. The stomach of Tammy Faye was yeah. not as big as they, you know, they, they tried to build uh, they tried to build a whole empire up to heaven and then uh, didn't work out for them. Um but yeah. this is a film that is very, very strange to me. I do not understand the tone. Um, you know, we talked about uh, the, the little clips before the movie started where the filmmaker can introduce the film. And this filmmaker uh, specifically said, 
if you remember Tammy Faye, you might remember her as the punchline, you know, and they, I think they might have even shown clips from like SNL and a bunch of things like that where people were making fun of Tammy Faye. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, but do you know the real woman? Do you know, like, blah, 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 blah. And it was setting this up to be sort of the I, Tanya type of film, right? Um, I had seen the trailer, so I knew it was going to have a different tone um, to it. But, like, if you introduce your film saying that, like, a lot of people know this person is a joke, I want to show you the real woman and what really happened, um, I feel like you can't make an entire film that is constantly punching down to these at these characters. I, I think that yep. there is never a moment where I think this film wants to authentically show uh, these characters as who they were and portray them in anything other than being like two really weirdo doofuses who always are the butt of the joke of any scene that they're in. Like they feel their, their line deliveries are, are silly. And this is not something that has a air of irony or sarcasm. This isn't like the big short or something like that, where it's purposely trying to play in a zone where like everything's heightened and like, can you believe this really happened? It's just showing these like goofus characters who were not exciting. And I think the real problem for me is like, if like, okay, so this this is a completely unrelated film altogether, but uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, right? So there's the scene yep. where it's like in trailers, most people, you've either seen it or you, or you weren't. Um, but there's a scene where like Leonardo DiCaprio does this scene and that girl leans over and says, that is the best acting I've ever seen in my life. The thing is, in that scene, that is terrific acting. When you see that scene, you yeah. go like, yeah, he nailed it, right? Like, you feel it, right? I'm supposed to believe that Tammy Faye and the guys... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm supposed to believe yeah. that when they traveled around, when they spoke, everybody was like, oh my God, I have never heard the word preached like this before. I need to follow these people. I need to pledge. I need to double my pledge. Like they are not charismatic people. They, they, they want him, They want the guy to kind of be like the Christian Mr. Rogers, um, like, or I should say the televangelist, Chris, Mr. Rogers. And they want Tammy Faye to be like, I don't know, like the big comfy couch lady. <laughs> no, no, <I'm> trying, <laughs> that was the first thing. Lamb chops lady, you know, like, 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 a, I would normally try to jump in, but I truly couldn't figure out what you wanted to say. I didn't know what I wanted to say either. I was trying to think of like, uh, I was going to say Miss Piggy. <laughs> well, no, but like, <laughs> that's just me and Steven. Um, but, <laughs> but they, they, they want to portray them. Like I'm supposed to believe that they were able to build an empire because they were so damn charismatic that people followed them and pledged them money. And they were able to build like freaking Christian Epcot center. But, like, there is never a point where any of them talk, except for the very first time the puppet appears. Like, the first time they go to the stage mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, my God, kids, look at this. And all the kids are like, yay. That's the only time. That's why I was going for, like, the big comfy couch. Um, yeah, I got you. But that was the only time that I felt not impressed, but like, okay, I can see how people would like this. Everything else just feels like a joke. Tonally, it feels off. I don't care. I don't get why they did like the prosthetic jowls on both characters. It just, there were, I, I never once felt this film took those characters seriously. And when their life becomes a tragedy, I never felt that tragedy felt serious. It felt like just them like, and now this is caught. And then the other thing too, is like the entire film implies that the guy was using money from people's donations to pay for things that were not the business. 
And then suddenly, three quarters of the way through the, the, the film, one of those transactions becomes the thing that brings them down. I just didn't get, like, there is nothing in the story that tells me how they built an empire and how that empire fell. We just learned that they built an empire and that it fell. And that, to me, is the bad making of a bad uh, biopic. Steven, did you like this mm. film? I liked this film more than I disliked it. I agree with all of your criticisms and I felt similarly about them. I think what makes it different for me is I went in knowing the story of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker already like quite well. It was, it was kind of an infamous story of the televangelist who is brought down for a number of reasons and his wife who was kind of um, eccentric. What is interesting about them is they don't fit the mold, right? We see people who do fit the mold in this movie. Jerry Falwell is in the movie. Uh, Pat Robertson, I forget his name. <laughs> um, other televangelists are in the movie who are the kind of straight and narrow, conservative, I am building a movement type of people. And Jim and Tammy Faye were always strange and interesting. I think Jim Baker is back now. I think Praise the Lord Ministry still has a channel that he is running now that he has gotten out of jail. <laughs> um, and that is a weird, real thing that existed that I've definitely seen on TV before, uh, like as a child. Um, so the fact that it doesn't do a great job of establishing what makes them tick, that didn't bother me so much. I think the charisma is there. Like you said, they're not charismatic. They're not in a sense. I think in the religious sense, they are like if charismatic Christianity, as opposed to being a Baptist or something, charismatic is like, you're more free, you're loose, you are um, liberating, you're not shackled by the boring reading a sermon on a piece of paper thing that Christianity in that era more was associated with. Um, I think they did represent Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. They were the fun, carefree, God loves you very, very much. And they were very shallow in their Christianity in terms of what they preached. I, I think that is what the movie definitely shows is like, they don't want to get into politics. They don't want to get into theology. They don't want to get into anything. It's just God loves you very much. Give us money. Um, that all was fine for me. What you said that I definitely felt very strongly is this movie does not know what it wants to be. This movie I didn't see Michael Showalter talk about it before the movie began, but it is clear that it wants to humanize Tammy Faye and tell us the other side of her story. It wants to be I, Tanya. But he is a comedic filmmaker. He's Wet Hot American Summer. He's like, he, he is a comedy dude. And everything about this movie feels like it is punching down and laughing at Jim and Tammy Faye. Um, and that is a very strange combination when you have Jessica Chastain giving, I think, a, an amazing performance, like almost unrecognizable performance as this woman. Um, she completely inhabits her. She clearly knows why she does the things she does, and she wants us to care for her. But the movie, every time it shows us a piece of her heart and how she must be hurting inside and how she's being betrayed, it will then do something like, showing us a montage where she is singing and dancing and we're all we're laughing at her behavior like it the movie doesn't know if we are meant to empathize with her or laugh at her and i think that is a really big problem in the construction yeah. of the film um 
I think nowhere is this more clear than in the very, very end of the movie, where it, I don't think it's a spoiler to say this movie ends with her performing after the rise and downfall of the Baker family. Um, and at once, we are supposed to love her. The movie has done things to make us love her. Like, uh, her, she had a very famous real thing that happened where she interviewed an AIDS activist on television that was very daring and very abnormal for any faith-based person to do in the 80s. And we watch her after the downfall that her husband put her through. And in the movie terms, we're supposed to care about her. We want her to feel better. We know she has a good heart and we want her to connect with people. And she's connecting with people as she's singing in the end. And then it cuts to a imaginary choir that only she can hear that is singing along with her. And tonally, it is like, are we connecting the way she is connecting? Or are we laughing at the delusions of a woman who thinks she is on a stage with the choir and she isn't? And I feel like the whole movie feels like that. We're like, are we laughing at her being larger than life? Or are we connecting and relating and feeling bad for who she was saddled with that brought down this lovely heart into being an exploitative I, I feel person? like it really wants to to be the ending of two different Darren Aronofsky movies. <laughs> hmm. I, that's what I think. That's what I, th okay, this that's is what a I puzzle. think they're trying to do. Okay. This is a riddle. And now I need to know which two Darren Aronofsky movies. This is one of them is yep. the wrestler, but the other, is the other ending, movie that is that you, that was sure. originally conceived of as being part of the wrestler. So black Swan is the other one. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I see it. Cool. I, I, I see both of those. <laughs> yeah, he, do, he doesn't know which one it wants to be, and I think that is part of the uh, complicated nature of it. I just think Andrew Garfield is good. He's fine. He is kind of the um, uh, the miseducation of Cameron Post version of this movie where he's like a little bit too broad. We know from a mile away what is going to happen with his character based on the way he plays him. He does it fine, but it is like the very broad comedy. It is the Vice version of this story. I just think Jessica Chastain is really fucking good in this movie. And that made me like it more than I disliked it, even though I think the construction is like quite flawed and confused. And if you didn't already know the story, I think it would make it hard to understand what the Bakers represented. Yeah. So I, I think the movie fails, but I still liked it more than I disliked yeah. it. All right. Uh, speaking of movies with Jessica Chastain <laughs> in them, um, this next one, her performance could not be more different than being Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, she goes from being a rather chaste woman in a Christian society who is trying to put Was on a good though? face. <laughs> I mean, the jeans stayed on the whole time, Chris. <laughs> what broke that water? That's true. I don't know. I don't know how biology works. Uh, the Forgiven. The Forgiven is a movie um, that centers around Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain, though there's a bunch of people who are basically wealthy people traveling to Morocco uh, for a party at a lavish estate being held by uh, a couple that they know. And on the way to the party, they hit a person with their car and kill him. And the movie is about the fallout of that. I assume that is in the synopsis and that I'm not yeah, spoiling think, anything by saying safe. that. Okay. Um, I thought The Forgiven was a very, very 
interesting film conceptually. I think it is clearly a McDonough movie. Um, not, not Martin. I guess this is George who did, uh, Calvary as well. Um, it is a movie about a moral dilemma at the center. And with that moral dilemma, you are surrounded by a bunch of horrifically evil side characters who all represent something about like the rot of society. And it is a movie that is like very bleak and cynical, but also very pure in terms of what it's the Ray fine character is going through a real emotional transformation. And then the movie around it is very cynically looking at all the ways that rich people destroy everything like the white Lotus. Um, My letterbox review, I said, this was the white Lotus meets Calvary. Um, you also compared it to the White Lotus. I think that it's just the the feeling is that rich white people fuck up everything. Yeah. And in this case, it is about uh, the fallout of what it means when that happens. What what happens to the people involved in that scenario? Can they redeem themselves? Um, I thought it was very interesting. It felt very play-like to me. Like, it, it makes sense that uh, this movie was made by the director that made it. I felt like the character choices of just how evil or bleak or cynical some people were, I couldn't always get on board with that. I couldn't always tell what the movie was doing. Um, I found it enjoyable. Like, I laughed plenty at the dark humor of this film. Um, But ultimately, it felt like a little bit lackluster to me. It felt kind of muddy and like once you got through the premise of the movie, I didn't feel like there was a lot to add to it other than just like people being shitty for the sake of people being shitty. Um, the redeeming quality is that the cast is fantastic. Like this is a stacked cast and they like they totally nail it. Um, Caleb Landry Jones, I don't think I've ever seen him do anything like this before. And it was kind of funny to watch him. I don't know. It, it It is kind of a wacky ensemble piece that I think doesn't really add up to more than the sum of its parts, but I enjoyed it for what it was. I just felt a little bit like it was kind of nasty. Like, like, like the way it deals with the subject matter is very bleak to the point of when it ended, I was like, Ugh, I, I feel kind of gross about this and I'm supposed to, but that is all I feel. Um, so I don't know. I, I felt kind of torn about this movie. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I, I don't nice. necessarily know why. Um, I think, you know, part of it is because this is such a, I don't want to say breath of fresh air, but it's so wildly different than anything else that was in our slate that I think much like Salome, like it is just so out there and doing something so different that it like, it stood out as like a, like, wow, I'm like experiencing something different than I've seen it before. I think that for me, you know, like I, I enjoyed the white Lotus, but it didn't like blow me away. Right. Like part of it was just that, like, I thought it gave like a weird voice to some of the characters at different point in times in that show. And sort of like, I didn't really know what its theses were besides, as you said, like what this film is like, why people fuck all the shit up and then just like leave wreckage behind them as they go about their time. Um, and this film is, is doing that as well, but it's also, these people are maniacally evil, right? There's not even a hint of, of mm-hmm. them being. Yeah. These people don't believe they are good the way the white Lotus people. Yeah. Believe yeah. Like these people good. know they are bad and they are purposely being that way. And everybody talks openly in a horrible way. Even the people that work on this property 
also engage in joking about what's like they say all the stuff that more white characters would have been saying but they are people who like you would think would be the 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 straight straight man characters within this story right so you're watching this film that on its own i think would just be like a funny film but not so that great but i think inner cutting with the journey that ralph Fiennes goes on like I, I, for some reason, it really worked with me, like him having this really serious experience where he goes from, he goes on this journey from like, fuck this, I shouldn't have to even do this. It was an accident, it doesn't fucking matter to the level at which he's participating in having respect for the scenario that he put himself in and taking ownership of that, like emotionally for himself, that journey is so impactful for that character that when you juxtapose it to like he was in the like the you know the oasis place with the people having fun got thrust in this other system has changed by the time he is returning and now he has to re into enter into that society and it's trying to see mm-hmm. if like can he do that now that he has been brought down to earth from the place that he was beforehand and i thought that that experience when combined that that those two pieces of like those two opposite sides of the coin i thought just felt very impactful to me like watching this character um also great fucking title for this movie (laughs) yeah no great great title for sure i i hear everything you're saying too to me that the fact that they are maniacally evil even in the beginning of the movie the, the way if you compare this to well, no, it's similar to the silo and both of them have characters that just don't react the way you would expect them to react in this moment um but here, the terrible thing happens. They've hit this kid. They show up at the party. They don't show the slightest bit of remorse. And I get that that is the point. That is the premise of the movie is these rich people are horrible. Let's try to redeem this horrible, horrible, horrible man and see what the ramifications are for him being redeemed. Um, just the layer of horribleness felt it felt cartoonish to me. And that made it hard to fully engage with what it was doing. I love the idea, yeah. though. Like, like, I think it would be a lot of fun if they tuned it a little bit less into dark, dark, dark comedy and more into just, like, pretty dark yeah. comedy. Um, I do want to issue a correction, too. He is John Michael McDonough. In my head, he was George Michael. And I was like, his name isn't <laughs> George Michael. I'm going to drop the middle name. I was right about Michael. John. <laughs> All right. Um, but, yeah, the one thing I do want to say, though, is I don't think this is a film about redeeming a character but like a character paying penance. Right. Um, yeah. It, I think the film has the question, can this character be redeemed? And the answer is and no. I, but I think, I think that character <laughs> um, agrees though. Unlike other stories where you watch. He does. Um, and I think that is, I, I think it's one of those things where um, because the character agrees with what we watch, it makes, I don't want to say makes it okay, but it's like, I, it like justifies that journey. Um, as short lived as the lesson will be in the grand scheme of the world. <laughs> like it becomes a, a really interesting exercise in the journey that a single character goes on. Um, so yep. I, I don't know. I, I, I just really enjoyed that, that portrayal. No, I I agree with that. It, it's interesting to compare it to Calvary for me because both movies 
stick the landing, the ending is perfect for what they are trying to do. It just Calvary, the whole movie around it, the philosophical pondering felt like it was in service to that. And here I felt like it was really dragging out the first part of how horrible they are just so it could come to its conclusion. And I didn't feel like the whole journey was worth it. Even though on paper, if you compress certain bullet points, I think it would be a great, great, great story. But I felt like the, I don't know, the the levels weren't quite right for me. All right. Uh, well, speaking about films that ask the question about whether a piece of shit can be redeemed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's talk about a little film called The Guilty. Um, if I am honest, I am sad that the way this flip of the coin worked out that I have to go first because I have a feeling that I like this film and you didn't. <laughs> um, that could just be an assumption. Part of it, too, is when, I wa- when you're watching a festival and you're watching so many films and a lot of them are like artsy films or whatever, that when you see just like a straight up thriller action flick, it's like you want to not like it. You want to be like, no, this is probably a bad movie. But I really enjoyed this film. I think that uh, I think that it's it's paced well. We start with the character who clearly has been involved in something which you can guess immediately given what his job is and what's going on in the situation. And you see him thrust into a situation at the end of his day, at the end of his shift, um, uh, or it's, it's not, I'm getting too old for this shit. It's, it's getting too late for this shit. And you watch him try to struggle with one person in a job and try to, you know, like you jokingly text me about combining this movie with, uh, (laughs) uh, with Lake Lakewood. Um, and, you know, they have a similar thing, yeah. right? It's people talking over a phone, trying to solve a problem that's going on in this situation. But I really, really like... Th- I-, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is great in this film. Um, he's playing an asshole who has an incredible temper, who makes the wrong move a lot. But you watch him try to put in the effort to try to do the stuff that he does poorly, but all in the service of um, getting... Uh, to solve this issue that's at hand. And when you watch him struggle with the bureaucracy of the way the systems work and just trying to get help all while there's a fire raging in, in LA, I think it all works for me. And unlike uh, Lakewood, uh, which, right? Lakewood? Yeah. Yeah. Unlike Lakewood, yeah. uh, where the story wants to ebb and flow and try to mess with your idea of what's happening, I think this film does that to great effect and i really really like where it goes um towards the end of this film um so i very very much enjoyed it there's a lot of pieces that i called some pieces that i didn't call but for me just the entire ride was sort of an exhilarating sort of stuck in one place um impactful stuff happening out in the world and you trying to drive it from one place and i, re- I really really liked it yeah so i you definitely liked it more than me, but I did not dislike this movie either. Um, it, I, I feel complicated about this movie. I think Joan Hall's great. I, it's hard to imagine another person who could have played that role as convincingly as he did. Um, he nails it. If I compare this to Lakewood, which, as you said, very similar premises, I think this executes way better on that material um, for many reasons, including that this movie specifically grapples with the meddling that the character does and has interesting things to say about it. Um, I think this movie is walking a tightrope 
between having us love the main character as a hero, a flawed hero, an anti-hero, but still the person that we root for to solve a situation, and having us see him as a broader metaphor for the police, including all of the ways that their initial reactions and their confidence and their desire to be in control can be wrong or misguided or can have negative ramifications. I think it is clearly trying to grapple with that in a way that I think is impressive, but I think the way Anton Fuqua makes movies feel like you are rooting for the character in spite of anything textually that you're being told about how you should feel about them. And here, for better or worse, the movie still played very much like a, this is the hero, he is the brash, no nonsense, I'm going to take things into my own hands, he's the equalizer on a phone, he is the guy who is going to solve it no matter what. And it's toying with you, like it is doing it well. But I still felt a little bit gross about it, even when the movie tried to make up for it um, in twists and turns that the plot takes, where it tries to specifically tell you all the ways the character is wrong about different things and all the ways that the police meddling might be bad and he maybe should stick to a script and do his job. Yeah. Um, they're, they're just little things. Like, there's a line late in the movie that a character says broken people save broken people. And to me, that is the movie misunderstanding the point it should have had, because that is the movie saying the ends justify the means. When I think what the real twist in terms of the movie should be saying is the ends don't justify the means. He is learning about himself through this process and everything else is, um, I don't, I don't want to spoil yeah. the movie, but I, I think you get what I mean. Like, like the movie plays as if we are rooting for the badass, even though it doesn't want us to root for the badass. And I think there's a little bit of a contradiction sure. there um, that made me feel uneasy about it. Now, it, I don't think the movie th thinks that we love the main character. It tells plenty of things to make us think he's an asshole. He has a short temper. He is blah, 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 blah. I just felt like there was a clash between the very traditional thriller vibe that Anton Fuqua gives us and the more complicated thing the movie is trying to tell us about the relationship. And that didn't totally yeah, so, work. So I think that what he's trying to do with the film, <laughs> I, I don't think he's threading a needle. I think he's very, very specific about the thing that is hanging over Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal's head the entire time. Um, there is there is a time frame for which something is supposed to happen. Like Jake Gyllenhaal is not a nine one one operator; <laughs> he is acting mm -hmm. as one in the moment. And I think that it is we are not rooting for him as the badass. We are wanting him to save this person and finding out what is important for him while he's doing this and why it's so important for him to to do this one thing and i think that it is not i mean that that line that the character says could definitely have not been there um i'm glad it wasn't like an adr line um it's like a character addressing the camera when they say it so it's not something that got added in after the fact it was just a decision to be made i think it would be great to not have that line um it would be better but i i think that this film is doing enough to let you know that something bad has happened before the scene that we're watching 
and there will be a reckoning in the near future for that that thing um and the character might be in his own sort of ralph fine's situation <laughs> right that he's trying to do um yeah but i think that like we know where he sits and and I, I think the only I, I think the only line that's being threaded, honestly, is the backstory for what is involved in that other thing. It is a very mm-hmm. explicit attempt to to explain what was done and why it was done to not let it go exactly where you assume it would go, right? Like it's trying to yeah. it's trying to not cross a certain line while getting as close to that line as it can. And that's the one thing that's interesting, that choice to like thread that line like that. Um and I think that like it would be weirder if somebody else made the film. <laughs> yeah. No, no, for sure. Um I also, I did not know until the movie ended that this was based on a Danish film. Uh, like, so this was based on an international movie that was not about U.S. politics yeah. at all. Um, and it was conceived before 2020. Um, so a lot of this, I can't tell how much was added later when they decided they needed to recontextualize it and how much was just in the original story and carried over. Um it reminded me of a short that I don't know if you watched the Oscar nominated shorts last year, year. but there was a Belgian short about a woman who is a 911 operator who receives a call just like this with the exact same idea behind her constraints of what she can and cannot say. Um, And that was a wonderful, like 15 minute short. And I think that primed me to be a little disappointed in this because I had, I had felt that exact tension before done in a way that I felt was more taught. And here it felt like it was trying to teach me a thing. And I didn't think it stuck the landing on the lesson that it was trying gotcha. to give me. Cool. Speaking of movies that grapple with new sociopolitical realities and how people might be handling them based on their prior understanding of the world. Uh, that wow. was a real stretch. Uh, the humans, yeah. The Humans is a film that I, again, knew nothing about going in, uh, but it is based on a play, uh, a rather beloved play from a few years ago, and it was directed by the person who wrote the play. Um, so this is very, very, very play-like in its construction, definitely reads that way on the screen, and it is about a family that has come together for Thanksgiving in the still mostly empty apartment of their daughter, played by Beanie Feldstein, Um it is a dysfunctional family drama, kind of a classic Thanksgiving concept. Um, they come together for the night to celebrate and talk and convene, and then quickly rifts appear in their family, both interpersonally and then the house itself seems to be ejecting them almost. Um, there's the discomfort of a New York apartment and all of the loud noises and creaks and things that aren't quite right about it and stuff that bubbles beneath the surface. And that is kind of uh, juxtaposed against the family drama uh, that is unfolding. I thought this movie was very effective. Um, I, I thought it really threaded that needle between the horror genre 
feeling that it was giving us and then the straightforward family drama that it was actually giving us. <laughs> um, I think it is an interesting play adaptation because it takes... You can imagine how the play would work when you watch it. Um, there's even a hint at the end of the movie of like how the play probably looked from the stage. But it is a very cinematic movie. Like There are lots of detours of just the camera moving to a certain place, like following a, uh, a indent in the wall or following pipes and rickety noises that are happening. And it, I think this very interesting act of adaptation. Uh, it's kind of about September 11th, I think, without really being about it. Um, in, in a very strange way. There's some interesting stuff there in terms of the way Richard Jenkins, the father character, reacts to his daughter living in this place and their stories he tells and then this general feeling of the lack of safety in a big city the lack of comfort compared to their kind of cloistered suburban upbringing um honestly i don't know what i loved about this movie except for i just think every conversation is really well done i think every character reveals themselves at the right moment and I think that pairing with the haunted house tropes that it's doing just worked for me really well. Um, but it is definitely a very stripped down play like film, but I just think it stacked cast and kind of interesting concept and executed very well. So I, I was a fan. Yeah. I think, uh, based on the picture slash cast for this film alone, it was one of the ones that I was very excited about. Um, I don't know why it, none of it worked for me. Um, and what's funny is a lot of the things you praise are specifically what didn't work for me. I really disliked all of the conversations the family was having. They felt very, uh, like there, there was too much, oh, a light went out again. Do you guys have lights? Do we have lights? Can, can you get the light from the cabinet? Like it felt like all, it felt like a, it's weird that it's, a, it's, it's based on a play because it felt like the entire thing was ad-libbed. Um, like every single conversation what felt like, do you have dreams? Yeah, I had a dream. I was just like sinking into a hill of grass. Hill of grass. Pretty, I mean, it was just grass. And like, it, it felt very stilted. And none of the conversations particularly rang, rang like authentic as like two human beings talking with each other. Obviously, there are moments where characters get to monologue about 9-11 and what they were doing that morning or... Um, medical issues they're going through. And there's like little moments where characters get to break off from the pack and have a conversation together where they actually be honest with each other. But I think for some reason, anything that wasn't those moments just felt extremely grating for me. And I also couldn't help thinking the entire movie that is the worst Thanksgiving meal I've ever seen in my life. And there's no way they could even cook that crap in their kitchen. <laughs> I, I, I definitely hear that. I'm, it, it's intriguing that you felt like it was uh, like ad-libbed because I thought the script was very clever and very tight. Um, I Maybe it helps that I, I was at a wedding on the East Coast with a family. <laughs> and anytime you're like at a family event, you can feel the kind of tensions between everyone wanting to play yeah. nice and like a little bit of what is bubbling below the surface. Um, but I thought all of that was just played it was tuned very, very well. Like, like it felt like the exact right amount, especially the idea of a family that can be um, 
dysfunctional but love each other. Like the, this is a family that can have it a shouting match, and then someone tells a joke and they all start laughing and they change the subject. And it is kind of about the the chaos of a family, the rickety nature of it, where they like things go down and it's it's like threatening to tear itself apart, but then it reconvenes and it's fine. And I feel like that pairing with my experience living in a rickety Edwardian apartment (laughs) above a music venue and knowing exactly how creepy a big apartment with wooden floors and that pilot light. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. The pilot light. I just thought it was a very, very, very clever central metaphor, and I think the movie just plays it really well. So I was, I was really into it. But I can imagine if it didn't work for you, none yeah. of it would work. Like you either are in the vibe or you are not in the vibe. For me, I could only imagine sitting in a dark theater, watching, you know, Stephen Young talk about the dream he had last night and how amazing it would be in like a dark room. <laughs> Just listening to monologues. I, I, I thought the movie totally yeah, no, worked. And I'm 100% willing to assume that it, it's just me. Like, I just wasn't in the mood at the time or whatever. Because I was, I, was, I was disappointed in myself that I wasn't enjoying it. I, I, didn't, I didn't care <laughs> that I didn't like the movie. I cared that, like, I was not enjoying myself. So it's... I'm, I'm the problem, Stephen. <laughs> I, I want to say the one holdover from the Broadway cast is the mom actress uh and she is great she she is like such a specific embarrassing over-the-top mom who you also feel very badly for um, depending on the situation i I think i was i was i I think she was the one that felt like the most real character to me like everyone else was like this is me Mm. and my problem and she felt like a woman who was just trying to make it through that party and then you know having people not be on her side <laughs> too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, uh, Amy Schumer is the one who worked the least, but most everyone else, I felt like I got their point yeah. of view pretty well. Cool. Well, you know, in that New York city apartment, one problem they had was that they kept, <laughs> kept losing power. Mm-hmm. I hear ya. <laughs> you. You know, it has power dogs. And the next film is The Power of the Dog. <laughs> nice. Stuck the landing. Nailed it. Um, I, I would have gone with just family, like, family strife and tension, but I like, I like the route you went. Yeah, I could have gone with the sibling sort of be- begrudging, not really rivalry, but anyways. Um, so The Power of the Dog is a film that's the other Benedict Cumberbatch uh, film from the festival. And it is, I believe, coming to Netflix in a few weeks, right? It's definitely coming somewhere pretty soon. Yeah, I'm pretty start- sure it started with a... I think it's a Netflix movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is uh, basically the story of uh, two brothers um, who... Uh, they seem to be wealthy cattle family. Um, and it's basically the story of them and their business and how one brother reacts to the other brother settling down with a widow and, um, sort of Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Benedict Cumberbatch's character and how he decides to take on his own little apprentice. Um, and I think that. I was definitely interested in this film as it was going on. Like I was being brought along. There were some fears I had of where the story might be going. Um, Thankfully the story doesn't go there. And I think that once 
this uh, film had completed and I had seen the full arc and I understood what I was watching, this immediately rocketed up to my favorite film of the festival. Um, I think this is an amazing, beautiful, powerful story. Um, and I was kind of like, there were things that I knew were going to happen, but I didn't know the significance of when they would happen, what it would mean. And when that hit, I was just like, fuck, this movie is great. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, the performances are obviously great. I'm, I'm never not a fan of Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed sort of the interactions of the characters. But I think that when you really see what is happening and you understand the backstory of Benedict Cumberbatch and how he chooses to interact with the people around him and who he picks to sort of latch onto and what those relationships mean to him. It just, it, I, I think this is an incredible film and uh, I really loved it. I completely agree with you. I, I was worried for a second when you said you enjoyed it while you were watching it. Cause usually that is a Christopher Schnazy tee up for, but then it didn't add up to anything more. And I was going to table flip. This is also <laughs> my favorite film of the festival. Um, I think it is brilliant. I, I think it is completely brilliant. I think in the moment it plays like there will be blood or something. It's just like tuned just right to be this kind of period drama with a hint of menace about an older time in society. Um, and then when it ends and you see the whole story arc and you realize how precisely tuned it has been the whole time to telling the story, I think it is just fantastic, very, very, very clever, and everything works. Every little thing about this movie. Yeah. Um, the the director Jane Campion, who this is another person who I have only blind spots for. Like she's a beloved director. I've seen nothing. I haven't seen The Piano, which is her biggest film. Um, she tunes it so little things like a whistle, a tune that Benedict Cumberbatch whistles can mean so much that we hear it and we immediately feel dread. We like pucker up. We feel like, yeah. Ugh. we feel the tension, um, a comb, a sound of a person running his fingers through a comb. Like there are little things that she just nails. Like she knows how to build a very, very, very specific sense of dread out of particular raw materials. There is no fat on this movie at all. I think it is exactly what it needs to be. The story it tells is perfect. The The length is perfect. Benedict Cumberbatch is amazing in this movie. It is ridiculous to me that this and Louis Wayne are acted by the same guy because they could not be more different um, <laughs> yeah. in in any sense. It It is just like a, a dark, gothic, epic story, and it is extraordinarily well done i i was yeah. really 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 impressed by this movie and I, I had heard buzz like i knew people liked it when it started i was kind of like oh i'm watching a historical drama okay i'm gonna try to figure out what to love about it because everyone tells me i should like it and then a few minutes in i'm like oh hell yeah this movie is great as its own thing like with or without but i think this would be a crowd pleaser like i think this movie would be beloved by all sorts of people yeah. and Every Jesse Plemons is great in it. Kristen Dunst is great in it. The the tension in that triangle of just how much Benedict Cumberbatch ruins her life. Um, the banjo scene, like forget Deliverance, <laughs> like the, the, that is such a menacing banjo performance. Everything, everything is just tuned perfectly in this movie. I feel yeah. like it is really, really, really fucking great. 
Yeah, this is definitely that when this comes out, we will do a full review. That'll probably sound a lot like this one, but I think we should have yeah. like major spoiler conversations with this later on. Yep, definitely. It is it is a solid one based on a book too, which I kind of want to read now just to know where the film diverges and where it doesn't. Uh, but I can't tell if I will actually commit to that. Segway time. Um, speaking of movies that are perfect in their construction, uh, The Wheel is probably not one of those, in my opinion. You were going to go with with speaking of people who can't commit to something? Yeah. Speak- <laughs> yeah um, the Wheel. So The Wheel is a movie, one of the few in the festival before we had our premium tickets that I at least flagged as, okay, this one I got to watch. Because there are a few that just felt like festival home runs, right? Um, Montana Story felt like a festival home run from the synopsis. This felt like it too. It's like, all right, couple, their marriage is on the rocks. They go away to try to solve it. It's going to be an indie. People are going to talk through their relationship. Fantastic. I've got to watch it. (laughs) Um, I felt like this movie was not great, and it made me sad. It's utter garbage. (laughs) I didn't feel garbage. I, I didn't feel betrayed by the movie. Um, I felt betrayed. It was, it was nowhere near great. It was not good. I'll say it was not good. Um, <laughs> this movie, more than anything else of the whole festival, should have been a short. The name alone implies what the short should have been. The short should be them on a Ferris wheel having a conversation where they're debating where they stand in the relationship. And then it ends exactly the way the movie ends. That is the bottom of the Ferris wheel. (laughs) Yeah, that is the short. It doesn't need any other explanations. It doesn't need us to know their history. It doesn't need us to know anything about orphanages. It certainly doesn't need a second couple going through their own thing in a very like message heavy way where they are coasting off of this primary couple and learning about themselves. All you need is these two characters in the middle of a emotionally fraught situation, sitting on a Ferris wheel, talking, would have been a great 20-minute movie. Um, Instead, we get a feature-length movie where I think every effort the film makes to tell us about the characters makes me like it less because it sells its character short um and it falls prey i think to a pretty big problem of making the guy be a saint and the woman be just habitually wrong about things and her story arc is realizing that she has been wrong about things and i think that is a very weak premise for a relationship film do you even Um, think he was a saint i think he made the first horrible mistake which is drag your girlfriend to the middle of the woods with no cell phone connectivity to force her to go through questions about the marriage that you got started when you were 16 like he is wrong from the start and he is the nice guy quote unquote that is quote unquote trying to fix the relationship quote unquote but he's going about it in the worst possible way which is basically trapping his girlfriend in the middle of the woods where she has no escape I mean, I think the only thing wrong with this plan is this idea that she didn't know about it or wasn't on board for it. But that is where I think the man, like I, I was middle of the road, fine, whatever about this movie. Now everything I'm going to say about it is going to be me trashing it <laughs> because I do think that the the biggest problem with this movie is the characterization of the wife character 
because she is seen as a person who is struggling. She is a kind of classic archetype of these kinds of movies where it's a a person who has a lot of emotional baggage, who had a rough family life growing up, and that that informs her behavior in relationships today. And what that means is everything, including the setup of how she reacts to being taken here, how she feels about having no phone service. I don't know how to take it because she is very mean and ironic over and over again with him in this movie. So I don't know what their marriage is for me to base anything she does on um, in the film. Steven, I, their I think, marriage is French fries. Sure. <laughs> they taste you know, good, but the longer you let them sit out, the worse they are. Yeah, I, I think the problem is I, I, I like the idea of this movie a lot. Like, I, I love the idea of a movie that is just centered around a couple struggling to keep their marriage alive, um, especially a young couple, especially with a fraught history that they're trying to unpack over why did we fall in love to begin with? What are we trying to preserve here? Should we even keep this going? Who is this for? Um, I like that idea a lot. But I think both characters are just presented as being very immature and not having a lot to say. And that frustrated me a lot. So I'm not actually going to defend it. The movie is not great <laughs> or, or even very good. But I did think certain moments were very effective, especially I thought the last like 15 minutes of the movie were very effective. I thought the setup was effective, too. And it's just the in-between that I felt like it was getting progressively more cutesy and paint by numbers indie festival movie um and none of that worked at all yeah i think that uh this film and uh aloners were the two films that were like i read the first sentence of the description was like i'm definitely watching this movie i'm 100 percent in um aloners worked out great we both said we really liked it it's a great film um this film not so much i think this this film's got problems from the start, like literally the start of its conception, right? This film is called The Wheel, and they are in the middle of the woods where there's no business for a Ferris wheel to exist, but it does simply so the title can be there, I think, because the wheel doesn't exist as a metaphor for their relationship. It acts as a metaphor for are you getting on or are you staying? Are, are you staying mm -hmm. on or are you getting off? That's it. That's all the entire, entire metaphor. It's not a thing where like the wheel represents like passage of time through their relationship. There is no leading back to past memories, trying to remember what was good, remembering fights, remembering good stuff. It is literally just a guy who's like, Hey, I want to read this book. I've trapped you in the woods. We're going to ask these questions. Say one nice thing about me, like those type of questions. And I think that the, the delivery, these characters don't feel real. Their delivery of all of their lines are terrible. And that goes for both the young couple and the adult couple. Like, it just feels very, very... Like, remember Disney Channel movies? Like, mm -hmm. you know, Brink and things like that, where a character's like, I'm going to go rollerblade now. You guys got to rollerblade? Yeah, rollerblading is great. Like, all of the lines of dialogue in this film seems like, relationships are tough, right? Yeah, I'm getting married. You guys are married? Cool. Like, it just... it, it Everything felt just... Like, I was expecting great things. I was excited to watch the film. And the second it started, I went, ooh, I think I'm not going to like this movie. I don't think it's good. And then as it progressed, <laughs> that's just the way I felt. 
about it the entire time. Both characters make horrible mistakes. Um, nobody wants to just tell each other the thing that they could tell that'll explain that they know things like text messages and stuff like that, where they could just say it, mm-hmm. confront the issue, and have an argument about that instead of beating around the bush and talking about things where the characters don't know. Never... Never, never, just relationship advice for everybody. Don't go to a lunch with somebody else to have a fight in front of them. (laughs) That's never going to be good. It's never going to be good. I I agree. I I honestly think the biggest flaw in the movie, even though I agree, I don't think the acting is great across the board. I think there is problems all around. And the characterizations, I think, are just kind of weak to begin with. So I don't know what the actors could do other than deliver the lines because the characters are inconsistent from scene to scene. Um, But I think the movie would be strictly better without the second couple there. I think everything about that movie is just more trite and cliche. And there's no, it would be better if this were a movie that just unfolded in real time of a couple having an argument. Yeah. Um, I'd be down for that. and, And when it tries to make it be more broad about relationships and what they learn from each other, I, what frustrated me is both relationships come to the conclusion that the young guy is just so great. (laughs) And that just feels like a very kind of weak thrust for a movie that is trying to be a complicated look at relationships to take. Yeah. Also there, I mean, the film is called the wheel, the poster of them sitting on the wheel. We know they're going to be on the wheel. This is not a spoiler. They are both independently walking and come upon each other. And from the moment they're both, on screen they walk directly to the wheel and sit in the seat right there's never a change in direction there's never a change in pace they walk directly to the wheel and sit on it all along they're having a conversation that goes a little something like this like oh remember we were going to ride on that should we go over there no i don't want to do that while he's saying no they just walk directly and sit on the wheel like it's, it's like what your dialogue is independent of your stage direction like <laughs> i don't know I I think because I've been shitting on it, what I do want to defend about the movie is I think the the idea of a couple whose problems are so baked in that they're almost impenetrable, like they can't talk about it directly. And you mentioned French fries being a part of their relationship. Like they, they relate to each other and love each other in their own way. But then whenever they use their words, it is completely fucked up. And you look and say, why are they together? Um, I believed that depending on the scene. There were moments when I believed that they could have a relationship that is built on this unspoken thing. And there are layers of sarcasm on top of it that make it feel like there isn't love there. But then there really is. Um, But it really draws it to an extreme and it does not hold up for a feature length. Yeah, and, and I, I and I agree with that too. Like I I do see them as being a real couple who does love each other, you know, in spite of the problems that they have and just one of them is trying to sabotage the situation because they are not not happy in the moment. Um yeah. the last thing I will say is I think this film would have been better if it cut to black after the title came up. <laughs> I I can see that. Um I will say that the other couple, the woman looks like Elizabeth Brunig, who's a political commentator that people can Google on their own time. But that was distracting me for the whole movie. Uh, You need to find a segue from this to the second to last shared film that we're going to be talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Stephen, 
relationships are not the only wheel that always spins. Sometimes there is a circle of violence. Mm. <laughs> a little bit, maybe. <laughs> um, the next film we're talking about is a little film called Vengeance is Mine, All Others Pay Cash. Um, this is a, a story about a impotent man who wants to fight the world and at the same time love a woman who he's scared he can't be with because his little bird is hiding and he doesn't know how to get his little bird to come out and play. <laughs> and uh, I think the description, I forget what the description was originally, but essentially it was like, it was like a martial arts romance story. And that sounded like that could be fun and playful. Yeah. And um, I, <laughs> I did not, not even a little bit enjoy this film this is one of those things where, like, I watched it. I hate watched the whole thing. And, like, I, I have... So, while during the festival, I was taking stream of consciousness notes, just like, oh, that's probably going to come back. This is going to happen. I really hope this isn't going here. Like, for every film. Like, that was kind of the way I, I went. The longest set of notes I have is for Vengeance is Mine, All Others Pay Cash. And it's just... It's just constant, like, oh, yeah, nope, they're, yeah, they're going to go there. And then, oh, why doesn't she just take the vial of stuff that her ex-boyfriend is selling and try to use that? Like, like little thoughts where it's mm -hmm. like, I, there, there is a scene. So it's supposed to be all of the characters talk about how the main character is like the best fighter. Like, he's so good. He can beat up anybody. We only see him get the shit kicked out of him. Like, he's never good at fighting. There is a point in the story where he ends up in jail. And somebody goes, you should let him out. And the prison guard, who I think is blind, says, if we let him out, so many people are going to die. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, you have not shown me anything, anything in this film where... I mean, nothing, nothing <laughs> is more dangerous than a man with a flaccid penis. That, there, there's one joke in the film that I actually laughed at pretty hard, which is... He's just met this woman. He is, uh, I don't know what I'm allowed to say on podcast waves. He is uh, giving her pleasure with his hand. And then she, she's done. And she says, now it's your turn and starts to get onto her knees. And he goes, maybe next time and hands her a lollipop. <laughs> and I was like, wow. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. This movie is very strange. Um, it was one of the first films of the festival that I watched. I think number two, yeah. actually. Um, and I'm just going to say I did not get this movie. <laughs> that is my <laughs> charitable interpretation. There are people who I respect who enjoyed what this movie was doing as a send-up of different genre things and a thing that subverts your expectations and is playing in trashy terrain and blah, blah, blah. I believe that for someone, this movie would work. For me, it felt like a incomprehensible martial arts movie with way more discourse about erections than I thought it was going to have. Um, nothing was believable. I don't think it wanted to be believable, but it certainly wasn't. And the story I thought was kind of hard to follow and not that meaningful i it was an odd 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 movie and i don't really know what else to say about it like the fighting wasn't captivating the story it tells kind of 
it doesn't even feel like a story. It feels like it ends with a message, kind of, but I don't know what it is. And people's relationship to sex is very like exploitation type movie feel. I don't know. I, I don't know what this movie is doing at all. So yeah, ultimately I'm just going to say this movie wasn't for me and maybe there's something about Indonesian genre filmmaking that I just don't get, but this one, if it was meant to be funny or ironic or subverting things, it went over my head. And what I got was just a film that didn't really make sense to me on any level. But if other people out there liked it, more power to them. Speaking of Southeast Asian films that I didn't fully understand, uh, Whether the Weather is Fine is a movie um, set in the Philippines about an, a storm that is coming very soon and uh, a group of people living on this island that is deciding whether or not to evacuate and if so, how. Um, this is a movie that takes a lot of twists and turns that I couldn't really follow on a plot level, but unlike Vengeance is Mine, All, of the, All Others Pay in Cash, the art of this movie, um, the visual style, the ability for it to shock you with kind of surreal imaging really did work on me here. Um, this was a movie that I did not love because I couldn't really follow it. And frankly, it was number 23 of 23 for me in the festival. So my brain was <laughs> a little bit fried by this point. But yep. it had a number of things that like really did work on me very well. Um, there's imagery here of religion a lot of religious context uh near the start of the movie people are watching a kind of repetitive commercial almost for jesus how his mercy is going to cover the earth like a flood um there's a scene where a sudden dance happens at this astrodome where there is a lion on top of it uh there's a scene where a character is suddenly whisked away having performed a miracle um this is a movie that has a lot of interesting things going for it and it is very much a kind of surreal avant-garde film that is just trying to poke you and surprise you and make you think um in a weird way it felt like the art house version of that uh, Zoe Lister-Jones movie that we saw at Sundance, whose name I'm forgetting now, about when the world is ending and she's walking through L.A. Meeting, oh, yeah. The, meeting people. How It Ends? Is that what it was how, called? Yeah, How It Ends. Yeah. This, this kind of felt like the art house version of that, where it was like a movie that is kind of quirky and non-traditional, and it's just about how do people react in terrifying situations, and who are you, and what are you about? Um Again, I don't think I, quote, got it in terms of plot or everything it was trying to say, but I found it to be a striking and relatively enjoyable way to end the festival. I kind of think I deserve to give it another watch before I really make an assessment of it. But I liked the way it made me feel more than I cared that I couldn't follow what it was doing by the end. Yeah, I think for me, when the film started, my first immediate thought was like, this doesn't feel like a set. This feels like they filmed a f film in like a part of a city that was decimated by like a tsunami or something that, that came in and just like wrecked this town. And we're just seeing a film that is made to portray what it feels like to be somebody who lived in this town. Um, all of my next several thoughts <laughs> were not really vibing with the plot the script writing versus the reality of what was being shown frame to frame. For instance, 
there is there are characters who go through a high tension situation right before acquiring two chickens mm-hmm. and then they go home they're eating what i assume is like crackers and like a can of tuna fish or something like they're, they're dipping crackers into something and the mother is like you can't eat this don't don't eat all of it only eat half because we don't know when the next time we'll eat again they have two chickens in their backpack no one says anything they don't say anything about it and then they're like we should leave this building and then the guy opens up his bag he's like oh no i only have one of the two chickens and they're like oh i can't believe you lost one of the chickens and they go outside and immediately a live chicken flies away and there's constantly animals that could be food walking and they're just petting them and walking by and there's a lot of stuff that is happening where it's like the script wants to say one thing but it they they are probably just filming in a real space and they don't have control over the scene or the set or knowing what's going on so things just happen if you were in a flooded situation steven and you were separated from your wife and your mother and you happened to upon each other would you then split up and try to go do two different things separately like i I feel like the characters make decisions where they both all have to deal with their own emotional stuff but it doesn't make sense in a survival situation where you're lucky that you found yourself and you found each other in the first place um and and it that to me i kept wondering why characters were doing certain things when it was clearly they want to have a scene where something is communicated, but that doesn't jive with the survival situation they're in and what, mm-hmm. what those characters should be trying to do as they work together. Um, I think there are things that maybe characters are forced to do by other characters to accomplish goals by the end of the film, which don't need to happen because there's other ways to achieve the same thing without like the emotional impact, so to speak, of... Right. Of, or physical impact. Yeah, or physical. I was trying to be sly um, of what they're being asked to do. There's just a lot of stuff in this film that I, you know, it's it's an, like earlier in, in one of the reviews for something else, you talked about how you can get everything the film is trying to do from the short version of this feature. And I think this is actually the first feature length film this person has done. Um, but they have had shorts that have made it to TIFF in the past. And it's like, I see that, like, there are, there are good, there are, there are ideas that I understand what he's trying to do during certain parts of the film. And there are emotional beats that hit the way they should. But I think overall, I was too, I was too taxed by wondering why characters are doing certain things in certain situations or why certain groups of people are suddenly arriving to have a scene that feels out of place in this moment where they were or why a character just has a gun for no reason. Um, And like things where I just didn't buy the reality of what these three characters were doing in this setting. And I, I found a hard time jiving with this sort of more fantastical or sudden dance scenes that cropped up because I didn't get what the film was trying to do yeah well i I get that and for sure you talk about characters surviving and what decisions they would make or not make that is definitely not the level i would interact with this movie on because i don't think it works or wants to work on that level i put this more in the strain of types of movies that i'm aware of but have never really understood like an example is baccarat i I don't know if you ever watched that um Mm -hmm from before but that that was a movie that was kind of like a trippy psychedelic western of sorts about colonialism in south america um 
and that was a movie where if you tried to figure out why our character is doing things, good luck. Like, good luck, because <laughs> it is not operating on that level. Or, like, El Topo or Old Todorowsky. Like, there's a whole genre of movie that is just not really my jam that is about making striking images and moments that you wouldn't expect to have an emotional impact on you and loosely hanging them around a story that does not work if you think... I'm going to put myself in the shoes of this character. What would they do? Um, I think you and I both have trouble with that for different reasons. I think you like story building. And for me, I want to be inside the emotions of the character. And neither of those work in this movie because it isn't trying to do that. There were a few multiple moments where things happened, And I was like, wow, I am kind of floored and I have no idea what I'm watching, but it is very unique and unlike anything else I've seen. And I think that's the level that director wants to be on. So props for that. But I don't know how to adequately assess a movie like that because it is just not really my my wheelhouse. Yeah. Like you referenced a miracle that takes place. And yeah. I, w- I, I, w- I just was like, I don't I don't know what I'm watching. I, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, well, uh, we have reached the point in this thing where we have exhausted all the films that both Steven and I saw that overlapped. And now we're going to probably quickly, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, I um, hope so. rush through it's a few things. literally past my bedtime now. <laughs> yeah. We're going to rush through a few things that only one of us saw um, in both cases. So uh, first thing we'll do uh, is we'll, uh, we'll talk about uh, Are You Lonesome Tonight? Um, which I'll be honest, when I sat down to watch this film, I definitely thought it was the other film that we didn't see about the couple where one of them has amnesia and the other one is trying to convince them they were having a a secret affair and then mm. they have to decide whether or not any of that is true. Um, just by title alone, that, I thought that's must be what, what it is. Uh, but no, instead, this is a film that is a Chinese film um, based on a book by Murakami. Did I pronounce mm-hmm. that right? Um, and basically, it is a, a man... like. Like with The Forgiven, um, a man uh, hits somebody in the middle of the night and flees the scene and then finds out later that that person is dead and sort of starts to um, stalk, maybe? Uh, Check in on the wife and see how she's doing, the wife of this man who has died. And um, through their interactions, it sort of unravels into a much larger thing that has transpired. Um, I found this film, I found this film interesting. I, I thought I was entertained by it. Um, you know, at first you're watching it just, I, at first I was watching it just as a story of <clears throat> this, this man who is going to approach the widow of the person that he accidentally murdered with his car and i was like trying to watch it just as that sort of film but as it spiraled out into bigger and bigger i'll call it a case of of something that is happening up and spans a bunch more time um it definitely became a thing that was kind of fun um Mm. to to watch it spiral out into a much bigger story with greater groups of people and just watch the the strangeness of what you know, in a way, it's sort of like a... Is there like a magical realism element to this? Because usually Murakami stories have some kind of fantastical touch to them that kind of disorient you. It, it didn't really have magical realism. It had more of a like a snatch or a lock stock sort of situation mm-hmm. where like he thought he was just hitting somebody with a car, but there's much more going on <laughs> with, 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 with what's going on there. All right, now, how many cats were in this movie and how many hand jobs? Because those are the metrics for Murakami-based. I, honestly, I don't think there were 
cats or hand jobs in this movie so wow. i got gypped interesting <laughs> um but yeah do you want to hit, hit your next film yeah totally uh so what i watched the only film that i watched that christopher didn't watch uh was a documentary called the rescue um by the same people that were behind free solo uh married couple jimmy chin and elizabeth chai vassarelli um and this is a movie about the the kids who were stuck in a cave in thailand a few years ago uh where it was a big news story when it happened um Kids had been stuck. The cave flooded. It is an underground network of caves that spans for a long uh, area. And it became a kind of two-week process of, can we find these kids? Are they still alive? And if so, how do we get them out? Um, The moment I learned this documentary existed, I was really interested in watching it. Because Free Solo and we reviewed Maru um, before, too, that Jimmy Chin at least had been a part of. I don't know if him and Elizabeth were married yet or not. Um, And... it is the kind of thing where they prove from prior films that they could take footage from a real world kind of high stress action event and make it be a very, very, very compelling documentary. And this was a movie that when the news broke, I didn't understand it because in my head, there's a cave, it flooded, there might be kids in there. We can solve it, right? We can drill, we can swim and get them. Like, this is a solvable problem. I didn't understand what the feat was involved of why it took weeks to get closure. And I was really interested in a documentary kind of showing it to me. Um, This movie, I think, is fucking awesome. This documentary (laughs) does a really, really, really good job of conveying what it is about spelunking, what it is about, like, the cave diving world that made this mission so difficult made the stakes so high it does it with a mixture of gopro footage uh people who were involved in the rescue had the foresight to have some gopros on for a bunch of pivotal moments and a lot of recreations with the real people involved that i think are seamlessly woven in like in my head knowing how much of this movie was recreated maybe would have taken me out of it but it is like perfectly done in the movie where you really feel like i understand how it would feel to be a cave diving rescuer um the stakes are high the emotions are really high i definitely got misty in my apartment at the end um i don't want to spoil too much but it is a real world thing and it is definitely a emotional journey to go on with the characters Uh, just a bunch of unlikely people that have this very specific hobby who are suddenly called upon to be heroes because they are like the small group of people in the world who know how to do this shit. Um, And I just found it to be a very, very, very gratifying documentary makes me glad that I only once went caving and I would never do it again because it is terrifying (laughs) being trapped down there. Um, But yeah, Nat Geo picked this up. I'm sure it is going to be released widely and I'm sure it's going to be a big hit, but you should definitely watch it when it comes out. I think it's October 8th that it's coming out. I don't know where, I mean, I assume on the television channel, but I don't know if it'll be a streaming thing. Um, But, uh, but yeah, this is like, like an idiot. I just, I just ignored all documentaries um, for this festival. And uh, I watched the trailer before recording tonight for this and it does look pretty great. So I'm excited to check it out once it's available to stream. It's pretty great. Um, Oh, it has the worst 
Oscar bait song ever, though, in the credits. Like, just oh, pretend no. it doesn't exist. <laughs> it's clear they're gunning for a best original song nomination, and it. Ugh. What? What? One half joke question for you: How much does Elon Musk <laughs> play into this? Not at all. They they don't even uh, reference that whole story, which kind of surprised me. I was bracing myself for it the whole time. Yeah. Nice. But, but the fact that Elon antagonized this guy, uh, when you watch this movie, you will be so angry that he did that because this guy's fucking incredible. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I'll try to go through my last uh, five, four things um, quickly. Uh, won't get into it too much. Um, but so, yeah, first up is Dashcam, uh, which is a little found footage film. Um, this is a it's, it's a weird film. I, I don't know why uh this film wanted to go with this but it's basically it follows a young uh woman um super pro maga person um who drives around and has a like a a web streaming show where she drives around in her car and freestyle raps about whatever she sees and uh she randomly shows up to visit her friend um and uh sort of tries to start a fight with her friend and his wife and then steals steals his car and goes out and starts um, trying to um, pick up food orders <laughs> um, with his, because uh, he also she also stole, stole his phone, tries to pick up food orders to go about the town delivering food, and uh, stumbles on to some crazy ass shit, picks up a person, um, back of a food place where she was supposed to get her food, um, picks up a person that just sets off a chain of events that go super crazy. Um, the found footageness of the film is actually done pretty well for the most part. The world building, like I buy that this character, this woman who has this show would want to carry her phone with her at all times because she's is seeing crazy shit and wants her fans, quote unquote, to see that crazy shit too. But there are parts of the film that other characters pick up um, the device and carry it around too. And I do not believe that those characters would do. This film does an interesting thing where because it's a live broadcast, you see the commentary of the people who are watching the stream popping up in the corner of the screen. So you can see other people's reactions to what you're watching. Like, oh, that person's crazy. She's definitely going to kill something like that kind of stuff. That's interesting. But there's this thing they do where the phone loses connection to the stream right when something I'll call incredible, you know, like something unbelievable happens and it'll be like mm-hmm. boop disconnecting and you'll get the spinning buffering thing in the corner and there's nobody watching. You'll see something that like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. And then it'll be like reconnecting and then people will be like, yeah, the stream's back. And like everybody misses that thing. So, so wait, the, the format of this movie, is it like a searching type thing where the whole thing is seen through the screen UI? Yeah. So the, so the entire thing is imagine you tuned into like a Twitch stream of a person who was driving around in their car and then crazy shit started to happen. But they also try to communicate lack of connectivity. So the point of view is like from the device, not necessarily from a person viewing it. Yes, yes. So you are seeing what the device saw this entire time, not what a a, a watcher. My assumption is that the filmmaker wants to cut off the commentary when there's something that you could miss that's about to happen. But it just seems weird that the phone keeps connecting and disconnecting at random times so that you miss these quote unquote big events. I think that I, I didn't care for it. I didn't find the character that um, like, honestly, I just want this woman to go away. Like <laughs> I'm not really rooting for her. I just want her to be gone. And I'm like obnoxious. Like I'm annoyed watching her do her thing. Um, but, and, and it goes like, it goes balls to the wall at the end. 
like it it is not a simple found footage film there are like wild things that are happening by the end of it so i think it's slightly effective at times but all in all it was not one that i'm going to put on the list of great found footage films that i've seen um so that's dash cam next one is the girl and the spider which when we were making our lists steven said uh chris will hate this movie i took that dare or that bet what's the film i don't know what this film is but what i will say is this film is beautiful looking this is the most clean crisp bright colorful film of the entire festival even more colorful than the electric life of louis wayne and interesting there is something really interesting that is happening with color that i don't quite understand characters will wear bright colors but then these characters are pairing off in different groups where like one person their undershirt is the color of the other person's overshirt and there's clear color theory stuff that is happening mixed with this very strange german film which is uh, there are two roommates, um, and one of them is moving into a new apartment with other people, and they seem, they're almost like communal housing type places that I, that I, 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 I always got confused which apartment I was at and what was happening, but to me it just seems like every character on the screen wants to fuck every other character on the screen, and there's a lot of sexual tension, some people are actually sleeping together, but like characters will come in and say that they really like this one character, but then sleep with the other woman, and then that woman is just sleeping with that character because that other person's roommate really wanted to sleep with that guy. It's, it was very confusing. I didn't know what was going on, but it looked very pretty. And the color was enough to keep me like going like, wow, what is happening with the color? I wish I understood why this is happening, but it looks rad. And something about it just looks amazing. I've, I've tried looking up screenshots of it and it doesn't really communicate what the overall color palette of the film actually is. But that's, that's the girl and the spider. I'm I'm intrigued. I feel like I want to watch it just for for people who want to know why I predicted that you would hate this. Um, I pulled two things from the summary. The first one was quote an uncanny expanded chamber piece thrumming with life, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the second one was something about uh, a non traditional movie showing web of sexual intrigue and interactions. Um, and I wrote, "LOL, Chris will hate this." <laughs> yeah. Basically, my response to him in our little spreadsheet was, I call this movie Roommate's Roommate, which is an allusion to Madeline's Madeline. Oh, (laughs) Madeline's Madeline. Yeah. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, But anyway, so that that is The Girl and the Spider. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I definitely think I'm happy I watched it. (laughs) I'm definitely going to watch it now. I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I don't know when it'll be available, but uh, it's worth worth at least looking at it specifically for Steven. Um, next up is a little film called The Gravedigger's Wife, um, which is a very interesting film. Um, it's it's very it's it's simple from its construction. It's a very simple plot. It is a a man who is a gravedigger, which is people that just like hang out outside the hospital. Ambulance comes in, they get excited. If that person dies, they dig a hole and. Um, you know, we bury the body and then I assume they make some sort of, you know, small amount of money off of that. Um, but it's about a man who, um, he has a wife and a kid and the wife is very, very sick. Like she is potentially terminally ill and he is trying to get enough work to be able to pay for an operation that she needs. Um, and he is unable to do that. So he decides that he's going to make a journey across, like basically across the desert to where his family lives and somehow they may be able to help him with the money that he needs 
to help with her operation. And it's a combination of a look at this man and how he tries to make a living in this town mixed with a journey, like a, a journey to try to go back to his family mixed with the telling of the backstory that would explain why his family could potentially help him. Um, and it is, you know, it's a very small film, um, but it really, it, it has like a emotional hit at the end of it that, that I think was very, uh, satisfying is not the right word, um, but I, I I enjoyed it enough. It wasn't it wasn't one that blew me away, but it was definitely a a film of watching people struggle to try to save the ones they love. That that was one set in like Somalia, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that was that. And then the last one I'm just going to talk about real fast is a little um, film, sort of a horror film called "You Are Not My Mother." And anybody uh, who is familiar with Irish folklore may know about this idea of changelings. And this is a story that centers around that folklore. And it is about a young girl whose mother one day goes missing and returns a few days later and uh, is not behaving quite the way that uh, she was behaving before she disappeared. And it is a story of how that girl deals with that, um, how that girl is getting along with her friends at school and um, sort of what her grandparents or his, her grandmother might know about um, things in her past related to changelings. Um, I, I, I found this movie nice. I, like I, 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 I'm a, I'm a fan of these sort of folklore type of stories. This is a very simple, subdued film um, made during COVID that it's not, it's not a very huge budget or anything like that. So it's very simple. It doesn't have a lot of big scares or anything like that, but it definitely has a few creepy moments that really make you think about, you know, creepy in the way that like Coraline is creepy, um, which is another changeling type uh, of story. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I, it's not, it didn't make the top of my list or anything, but it was definitely a nice, simple film that I, that I very much enjoyed, um, for what it was. Nice. So yeah, that is all the films that we saw at the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival. Any closing thoughts, Stephen? Oh, uh, closing. I feel like, so when I compare this to past festivals, especially the TIFF we went to in person, before there were so many clearly awards baits, baby type things. There were, there were multiple power of the dogs basically. And we knew what we were supposed to watch and we crammed all of them together. And that was fun. That is a totally different experience. But when I look back at that TIFF, probably 80% of the movies I would have seen anyway, at some point. Um, whereas this TIFF, because of the nature of how we booked it and everything, I'm going to say maybe like four of the 23 movies I saw, I would have definitely seen otherwise. And I'm pretty thankful for the variety of interesting films that I got to catch that I never would have thought of watching otherwise, like uh, Andre Galda, like all, all these things that just never would have caught my eye before and will probably never be spoken of again. Um, I think in terms of surfacing unexpected content, this has maybe been my favorite festival experience so far. Just from the hit rate of movies I expected nothing of that I wound up at least quite liking. Um, I, I felt like it was a good journey, but also remind me to never book days where there are more than three movies to watch because my brain <laughs> completely fries after that. Yeah. 
No, I, I think this is the exact conversation we were having the last time we did a festival where we had multiple days of lots of films in a row. Um, yeah, I, I feel I feel similarly. I mean, I feel overall it feels like a weaker festival just because there weren't so many like knock it out of the park, really interesting um, films that I really, really liked. There also weren't that as many mainstream films as there were when we did that first in, mm-hmm. in-person festival. Um, when we were booking the this festival, there was almost nothing that I was like, yes, this is going to be great. Or I was highly anticipating. It was literally just Aloners and The Wheel. Um, one of which nailed it, one of which didn't. Um, I think from from this, really what it came down to was like, we have a pass and we have other film, we have, we'll, we'll buy individual tickets. And it was kind of like, what can we fit in? Is this mildly interesting? Let's do it. So it was, it was really an experiment the entire time. And I think that if the festival wasn't crammed into a short amount of time, I'd be more happy to do more experiments over like multiple weeks instead of like cramming it all into one week. Um, but overall, there was only like the two or three things that I actively disliked and everything else was at least a, a nice experience to have. So all in all good festival, you know, four out of five stars would do it again. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad. We had to be in Canada for it though. That, that made it really hard. Yeah. It's very, very difficult, but yeah, so that's going to bring us to the end of this review. Steven Miller, people want to find you throughout the week. Where can they do that? Oh, if people want to find me, they can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherinreal. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. You can also use that to let us know if you saw stuff at Tiffin, what your favorite films are, because that would be cool to hear from y'all. This is it. This is going to take a thousand years to edit. Um, but eventually we're going to return to talk about other new movies that you can see that are coming near you. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, like, because I think there was something coming out. I think it was the 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 documentary that's coming out on the 8th so we'll see if i can get this episode out before, <laughs> before oh, yeah. that one but some some too like tammy faye came out this weekend so we have oh, yeah. uh, we, we've already passed some i think gotcha if only i liked that movie we could do like a full review of that <laughs> i know yeah it's probably not worth it though i think jessica chastain is great in it anyway i wonder if this is going to set the record for episode length I, I we had a pause in the middle so i don't know the full runtime of the real recording but i feel like it's going to be close yeah it's definitely way longer than my MacBook Pro can handle. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. All right. Thanks for everybody for listening. That is if you made it this far. And we will see you in the next review. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Tiff, for having us be part of this amazing festival. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this. Thank you very, very, very much. much.